You had a rough week this week, huh? Well, with the baseball. Yeah. Oh, you got the baseball, then you, then you got owned by Kafasis. It's just one indignity after another. That was stupid. I can't believe I mean, who, who cares? Who? I mean, who does something like that? Tiny, tiny men. Exactly. I mean, I don't care. I'm not superstitious. Superstitions are for red. That's, see, that just says everything you need to know about Red Sox fans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was a, you know, when they built the new Yankee Stadium a couple years ago, there was some goofball guy in the construction crew who uh, apparently, uh, or supposedly, purportedly, reputedly, uh, uh, put a Red Sox jersey into like a vat of concrete that they, you know, poured a column or something like that. And then they ended up like ripping it out or something. I don't even know if it was there. Who does stuff like that? Well, you know, they, they were cursed for, what is it, 86 years or whatever it was. No, so. they did, weren't cursed. They just stunk. That's it. It was it's superstitious Red Sox fans who thought it was a curse. Whereas Yankee fans just said, you know, they stink. Yeah. Good you know, team. And, uh, Good team this year, though. Good team. My elderly relatives, who are Yankees fans, used to call the Yankees. What they used to call? Bums. Always the bums. Those bums. Always. Wait, but they were Yankee fans? Yeah. Called the Yankees the bums. Huh. I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was uh, also what they used to call the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, I think that's what every every old person who who grew up, you know, in New York, uh, 50, 70 years ago, they're all bums. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, big week for you last week. You, had, you got the review out, right? Yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm doing all these podcasts. Yeah. I'm, I'm in demand for a week and a half a year. It, our, our little, you know, the, the media, I don't want to call it the ecosphere. What do you want to call it? But, the, you know, the way that there's a bunch of... Cabal, know, maybe? Well, but it's more than that, though. There's also people who aren't... Cabal implies that we're... Uh, Implies that there's a plan, and there's not. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, that there are now shows, and there's more websites and stuff like that. But a lot of people have shows, and now you can, we can, we as, you know, indie nerd, whatever we are, is, um, but when we have something big and new come out, like a new app, uh, like when I had Vesper come out last year, or you, when you, you know, you've got the, the big, uh, Really, it's we call them reviews, but they're almost like short, concise books. If you think of them as short, concise books, they don't seem so long. Uh, but now we can do what like actors do when a movie comes out: is you go on a bunch of shows and you let people know. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that like what I try to do is uh, like I don't have to do that, so I don't have to go on all the shows that I don't want to go on. I just go on the shows that I do want to go on, and that narrows it down considerably. Like because I don't feel compelled to just you know tons and tons of offers like you know hey come on here come on here. and there's always you know offers here and there but as soon as this comes out everybody wants to pc on i have the luxury unlike the people who have to go and promote a movie to right to pick and choose only a few right days. so but like so you're not going to go on guy english's stupid show no i already blew him off no right. <laughs> I, I will go on his show i just like i couldn't i like literally couldn't fit in the schedule you know what time do i have for podcasting i have like after the kids are in bed Right. And even then, usually only on weekdays. And just, you know, when I'm booked up, I'm booked up. There's only, you know, five slots a week. And and doing five things a night uh, makes my wife angry. So Yeah, I can believe that. Trying to try to keep that under control. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if my wife would be angry or she'd be happier. So how what how how's the reaction gone to the uh, to the review? Yeah, it's good, I guess. Do you think I mean, people are starting to take them for granted? Uh, I mean, like, I think, you know, I think it's been tapering off the past few years in terms of just attention on the Mac at all. And so the people who like it still really, really like it. Like, that's my, 
that's my core audience of you know the, the people who do like what I do really really like it. But then for everyone else, it's like meh, you know, there's this thing. It's all right, I guess. Like if you look at the uh, the histogram of you know because it's split up into like pages, quote unquote pages, but not really. Uh, if you look at the histogram of who visits you know, the first page, second page, third page, or whatever, it looks like a big U-shape, because tons of people get the first page, and tons of people read the last page, and people who read the middle, not so much, so, <laughs> and it's always been like that, but now, you know, it's just, it, it, it does well, a lot of people read it, uh, but I think just the interest in it in general is, is people aren't as excited, and I mean, it's the 10th one, 10th major release, like, you know, it's like, all right, I guess they're still doing that Mac thing, let's learn about it a little bit, and that's that. Do you ever think about doing them for iOS too? No, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't want to do them for iOS. I don't feel like. I mean, like you could say like, oh well, I do them for the Mac because I've got all this history, you know, being a Mac user since nineteen eighty four and everything. Well, I've been an iOS user since pretty much day one too, but it just doesn't feel the same to me. You know, yeah. it doesn't. It's not. That's not my thing. Some kid who was twelve years old in two thousand seven should be doing these iOS reviews. You know what I mean? Like right. who, for whom iOS is that that seminal technology moment in their life. Uh, for me, that was the Mac, but it, it's not, iOS is not that for me. Although, if you, you know, if you look at my reviews, iOS is just like this shadow that looms over the entire thing because it's hard to even talk about the Mac without, you know, comparing comparing it to iOS and thinking about uh, how it is a reaction to iOS or how iOS might be a reaction to what it's doing. Like, it, it's impossible to do a, a, an OS ten review without talking about iOS. So I do, but I wouldn't want to review the OS proper. Yeah, it's like in other words, it's 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 your obsession with Mac OS ten that drives it. It's not just you want to be. It's not just that you want to have a big comprehensive review of something that Apple's done. It's this is the thing that you really you know your your mind just naturally latches onto, wanting to know all these details. Yeah, and I like and I like Macs better, and I like the things you can do with them, and a lot of the technology things I'm talking about, like there are probably equivalents in iOS, or they may have started in iOS or whatever, but uh, it, I mean, maybe it's just because I have more background, but it just seems like a lot of these things, I I can get more technical info uh, about uh, the details of OS ten, even just from Apple, just from going to WWDC sessions. You're much more likely to see some in depth end users and even developers really don't need to know this information, but they're going to talk they're going to talk about it in a presentation than you would for iOS. And I guess the people who jailbreak iOS and are in there with debuggers and poking and prodding it could do a similar type of thing, but Apple is not offering up that information as readily as they have historically offered it up for the Mac. And then there's all like the dev tools and stuff, which is common to all platforms. And that could be in an iOS review just as easily as an OS 10 review. But, but yeah, I like, I like the, you know, weird things in nooks and crannies of OS 10 and OS 10 has evolved more like it's older. And so if you look back, you know, even though iOS seven is this big radical break, if you compare, you know, iOS one through six and then seven, that's just like the first quarter of OS 10's history. I mean, the, the way it's changed and, and how just look and feel interface technologies underpinning everything the the time before iOS existed compared to the time after OS 10 has been through a lot whereas I, iOS is still you know spring chicken so it's maybe not as interesting from a historical perspective quite yet one thing that stuck out to me and part of it is the fact that this is the 10th one and that makes the math a lot easier um, is you can divide and just sort of figure, well, over the lifetime of Mac OS, I still call it Mac OS 10. I even write it sometimes. Even I, yeah, I know. It's hard. It's hard. I, I try to try to train myself out of it. Uh, 
It's like one of those ways where I'm just curmudgeonly. Because I, 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 to me, the putting the Mac in Mac OS X, it just jumps out at you and there's no confusion. Whereas with iOS and OS X, it is, it's all about that OS. And to me, it's one of those, then, then I could get confused and I, would, I might write the wrong one. Or, or if I'm reading somebody else's, I'll read it the wrong way if I'm reading too fast. Yeah, and like everyone read so much into dropping of the Mac, and like I still don't quite understand the thinking behind it, other than just the basic like, well, it's it's one one fewer word, it's simplification, right? But it's like, oh, well, they can drop the Mac because then you could have OS ten on non Mac platforms, and you know, fast forward like four years, and it's like, no, not so much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was that was one of those ones, and God bless my readers, but it was like one of those ones where it was. I mean, like 30 or 40 emails over the next day or two from people who all suggesting the same thing, that it meant that, that Apple was going to license yeah. the, the OS to, you know, probably not everybody, but maybe like, just for example, just Dell and let Dell make. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like who knows, you know, who knows how these decisions come to pass. But, you know, there was that brief moment where they were trying to say OS X was like the common platform beneath iOS and Mac OS X or iPhone OS and Mac OS X. That was like three days when that was the case. And then they backpedaled and then later, you know, took off the Mac again. Like, you know, it could be preparing for possibly doing that or running in this OS and something that's not a Mac because it's like a TV thing or like who knows what, you know, but they just it seems to have a mind of its own. It's like, well, we're doing this name change. And if if the name change was really going to be linked to, hey, we're licensing it, you think it would be announced at the same time. It's not like you you change the name first and right. then announce the licensing later. So the name change like has a life of its own, and it's one of those things where Apple Apple doesn't explain. Like, remember when you were trying to ask Apple about like you know what's the deal with like the new iPad? When you know, and they were just they you know it was like talking to um, I'm not going to get political anyway. It was like talking points. Yeah, uh, where it was like to... they all they all said the same thing. They're like you know we have a speech every time you ask it. We just like to call it the new iPad. Like they were reading from an index card, you right? Know? But it's in a way that is utterly a a part nonpartisan. It has nothing to do with left or right, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. All of them are the same. Where when you get one of them in public, especially like on a in a campaign for an election, they you just cannot knock them off the talking points. Even if you have a question that none of the talking points answer, they'll just pick one of them at random, and it and it ends up like a non sequitur. Well, Apple is. As disciplined, or even more disciplined than a political, you know, campaigns at the top of their game, because some political campaigns, you know, good reporters can can you know trip them up or whatever. But the very best, most efficient political machines cannot be tripped up, and they speak with one voice and they stick to their talking points right. and they execute their strategy. And it's like talking to a brick wall. I mean, you know, who cares? Like the name of a product's not a big deal, but Apple employs that strategy to great effect. So, right. you know, if they don't want to explain why they change names, they're not going to. And in the grand scheme of things it doesn't really matter so we're just left to you know scratch our heads and go oh well that's what it's called now so i have a little background on that and it's not definitive and i can't you know it's it's off the record um and again it's not definitive so i could be wrong but somebody was telling me that um they had the name ipad air in mind all along or at least you know like this product was on the roadmap for a while and they knew they wanted to call it ipad air um, but that wanting to call this year's new full-size iPad, the air, when they could make it this size and this weight was why they stopped putting the numbers after the iPad three and four, because they felt like if they did two more iPads with numbers, it would create, it, it, 
it would make the iPad Air when it come out, if it wasn't called the five, make it seem like it, I, I think they overthink stuff like this, that it would, you know, that it, once you get to four, it would have to be five to be better than the four, but they didn't want to call it that. They wanted to call it the Air. So they just stopped, you know, they just had two models yeah. where they didn't. But everybody, else, I just call them, everybody else, like we call them the iPad 3 and iPad 4. Yeah, and like that, that strategy, whether they thought it was a good idea or not, like all they did was trade a future scenario in which people expect a number that's one bigger than the previous number for a more present scenario. Right. Because people had all this, all the same stuff happened when it was the new iPad. Right. And so all that stuff that happened, that's what they were trying to avoid. All they did was shift it forward in time, which is fine. Like whatever, you know. I think it's reasonable to take the numbers off the thing. Uh, but if it was their strategy to like, we don't, we don't want that burden on top of the air. We, we want that burden now on top of the iPad three. Well, you got what you wanted. Well, and the flip side of that, too, is it makes me think that they're going to stick with the numbers for the iPhone. If they thought about that and they didn't want to have these numbers and not, you know, eventually go away for the iPad, then why would why are they still, you know, numbering the iPhones? So well, makes, you got to wait, wait, for, wait for them to drop the number on the iPhone. And then, you know, two years later, the iPhone Air that's going to be a thickness of a credit card is going to come out. <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. That might be. Um I also think in general that Apple, not that they're not good at naming things, but they're not good at explaining why they name things. I think even to themselves that they just, you know, even without Steve Jobs there, even as it goes on, it's sort of, you know, they just pick names that feel right. And whether there's any sense to it or not, they don't care. Or names that feel wrong, like MacBook. Yeah, Marco's still hung up on that one. No, I mean, it's just, you know, you get used to anything. You get used to anything, but, like, you just, you have to judge a name, like, when you first see it and say, does this name have any awkward aspect of it that's weird, and what am I trading that awkwardness for? Am I trading that awkwardness for better brand recognition for the word Mac? Well, you just took it out of the OS name, so I'm not sure what the grand strategy is there. iPod and iPad relying on this, you know, different vowel sound and very similar-looking letters to distinguish – yeah, it's not the greatest, but you know it worked out in the end. Like uh, iPod Touch, people calling it the iTouch. Like, yeah, it's kind of a mess. And in the end, the, the names don't matter that much. But certainly, I would say naming is not c- consistent. Vision of naming is not Apple's strong suit. Yeah. But you know, I, if you had to pick a weakness, it's fine. We're, we are recording this on uh, Halloween evening. I was out uh, trick or treating with the the boy and and his friends earlier this evening. And one of the kids' dads, uh, who knows what I do, asked me, he says he wants to get a new 13-inch uh, notebook or laptop or whatever and wanted to know which one he should get, the AirBook or the MacBook Pro. And I never, I don't think I've ever heard that one before, the AirBook. Yeah, I mean, the name, if you're not in, if you're not, don't follow this stuff. The names right. all start to sound the same. They all got I in the front of them. There's some sort of air is like in the mix. And right. sometimes there's Mac and there's a pad and pods. And you know, people don't know. People don't care. I think I had a good answer for him. I think I think that's become a very easy decision to make. The just off a little bit off the the topic here, but to choose which MacBook to buy. If you're, I think here's how I think it is. I think if you spend a lot of time running off the battery, you should get the Air. And if you spend most of your time with the AC cord plugged in, then you should spend the extra couple hundred bucks and get the Pro. I think the screen is still a factor in my mind like it depends if you think people care but i think even regular people know what a bad viewing angle is like they don't they can't articulate it but like you know it's it's the case that a lot of people still can't tell the difference between retina and non-retina but everybody can tell the difference between you know ips and tn panels like Mm -hmm. 
they just, you know, well, this screen doesn't quite look as good, you know, because if you're at a slightly off angle, that's that's the one remaining weakness of the air, even though I still recommend it. It was so much easier to recommend it when none of the, when none of the machines were retina. Like there was that there was a honeymoon period where which laptop Mac should I get? The default answer was 13 inch air. Right. And, you know, and then you could just waffle from there. And now it's like 13 inch air. But have you seen the screen on the 13 inch retina even before the revisions? You know, like that's. Those things look so nice. And if you're going to be spending all day looking at the actual laptop screen, especially now that the 13-inch, you know, non-air is getting so thin, it's it's a harder decision. Yeah, know, it's, just... it's pretty comparable to, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a little off. But I think it's getting pretty close to the weight of the original 13-inch airs. It's not quite there, but, like, if you, if you like, like I said in an ATP couple of weeks ago, if you just imagine the original air, but it didn't taper. Right. It's very similar. Yeah, just stuff with extra battery. And like a bazillion times faster and better battery life and, you know, everything else so much better about it. Uh, let me take a time out, tell you everybody about our first sponsor. I think this might be a record for the soonest I've had the forethought to do a sponsor break. It's our good friends at uh, Transporter, uh, a.k.a. File Transporter. Uh Founded by a bunch of guys who used to work at Drobo. Now they're reunited. The Drobo people have, have uh, acquired them. It's a Drobo product. Uh, what is File Transporter? It's like your own personal Dropbox. It's a piece of hardware. You buy it. And you plug it in to your home network or your office. Or you could buy two. You could put one in your home, one in your office. Sign them in with the same account. And what does it do? It works like Dropbox. It just syncs the, any files you put on it between each one, if you have more than one, and all the Macs you sign into on the same account. What's the advantage of it? Well, it's your device. You control it. You know where it is. And there is no cloud component. The only part that's online that these guys do is the magic to sort of uh, poke holes through your router, your you know your home network, your office network. They don't do any storage, though. All they do is connect sort of a peer-to-peer -peer basis just to sort of get you through the, you know, uh, what do you call it? The firewall? Whatever you want to call it. The the router. Am I, am I saying this right, John? Firewall. You got it. Firewall. Uh, they don't store your stuff on any kind of cloud-based system. And I can't imagine. I say this every time these guys come on as a sponsor. I, I really can't imagine the the i mean it's a, it's a terrible complicated and and uh, political situation with the US government and the NSA and the spying and stuff like that that's going on with leaks coming every single week i can't even imagine the forethought that went into them launching this product about a year ago and then to have this next year of news break out like this in terms of trying to convince people of why you might want to take control and ownership of your distributed, uh, ubiquitous, everywhere you go, file storage. Uh, they have an app for the iPhone, so you can use that. You can connect to your stuff from wherever you are, even on your phone. It's a great product. really is. works very simply, very quietly. It's just it, a completely unobtrusive piece of hardware. That is the one thing I always, when, it, when I first heard about it months ago, my first thought was, well, do I really want to hook up? I'm lazy. I really am. And the older I get, the lazier I get. Do I really want to hook up some kind of complicated, you know, piece of storage 
hardware. This thing is adorably a little cute. I mean, it's, you know, fits in the palm of your hand. Very simple to set up, uh, quiet, and all the good things you could say about it. Um, where do you go to find out more? Easy. You go to filetransporter.com slash talk, T-A-L-K. Nice short code. That way um, they will know that you came from the show. Uh, it's cheap. You can do things. Uh, what, what's the starting cost for this thing, John? You know, because they, they sponsor your show too. Isn't it like uh, $2.99? Uh, I think have the new one that doesn't have the hard drive in it that I think is even cheaper. But they do sell an empty one that you can supply your own hard drive for. But yeah, it's something like that. Here's one. You could get one. Look at this. Your own unlimited private cloud. Here it is. It's brand new. It's a new device. $99. That's the little puck-shaped one, That's right? the little puck-shaped one. You yeah, can get started for $99. I should also add, here's another thing. No fees. You don't pay fees. You don't pay any kind of monthly thing. You buy them. It's 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 like Apple. It's like you you give them money for hardware. And then it just runs for free after that. No monthly fees. You just buy the thing. And uh, really, it's it's great. If you're a nerd, you want to buy the one that doesn't come with a hard drive, you put your own hard drive in it. Otherwise, you can get one from them that's all set up, ready to go right out of the box. So check them out, filetransporter.com slash talk. Yeah, this new puck-shaped one looks adorable. Reminds me of the old uh, Griffin thing. Remember that Griffin... It was like thing. a big. It was a big knob that you turned or something. Yeah, it was like this. It was. Uh, it was this hardware thing. You'd plug it in USB, and uh, or was it so old that it was ADB? I think, I think it, was it was. I think it was USB. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it was just tw- you just it, it was just a dial, and you could like there was software where you could make it control your volume. You could, if you wanted, instead you could have it scroll whatever app you were in. Uh, It'd be nice if you could play Kaboom with it. <laughs> I'm sure you could. You must have been able to. Seems like it would be criminal not to let you play Kaboom. Or, that, was, uh, that was my favorite, uh, one of my favorite games for 2600. It was a very good game. There was a, there was a whole, there, I don't even know what you want to call that. There was a genre of classic video games, which was going side to side, catching things. Yeah, and the dial controller, like this could just be childhood, you know, rosy, rose-colored childhood memory, but... I would love for someone to hook one of those things up to find like a TV with an RF interface and everything. Like hook it up with period correct hardware and see what is the latency between when you turn that little analog knob and when, you know, the image moves on the screen. Because it just felt like you were directly connected, wired up to that little stack of things trying to catch the stuff as they fall. Maybe the lag was horrendous and I just don't remember because I was so young. But in my memory, that was the most responsive I move part of my body and an image moves on a screen interface that uh, I can remember. Atari called it the paddle, right? That's what they called them, the, 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 that controller. Maybe. That was the only device, well, or maybe there's newer ones that come. But that was one of the weird things about Atari is it came with two sets of controllers. You had a set of joysticks and a set of paddles because it was for two totally different games or types of games. My favorite of the genre was uh, Circus Atari. Do you remember that one? Does not ring a bell. Ooh, that was a really good one. It was the same type thing. It was you were a clown on a teeter-totter, and it just went side to side. And then you had a partner who would jump on a trampoline to start, and you had to catch him. And, you know, you had to catch him on the the upside of the teeter-totter, and then he would shoot you up in the air, and then you'd be, the you know, you'd just go side to side. And there were balloons to pop. It was a breakout, really. 
but instead of you know, I don't know what the premise in Breakout is. You were clowns popping balloons. <laughs> yeah, my my one friend with the twenty six hundred must not have had that a game because oh. I never had one. It was good, and it didn't look good. It sounded so stupid because it you know it didn't have any spaceships, didn't have any guns. I mean, you were you know the box you know showed you that you were a clown. So it was one of those ones where we got it like when we got our family. 2600 for christmas but my sister and i never played it and then one day i was homesick like i had the flu or something missed school and i was sick of all not not i was sick i was like ill but i was also tired uh bored of all the games i had and then i realized there was this circus atari game that i'd never really played and i put it in and, and i had like a like seven continuous hours just played it nonstop. you should look it up it's a good one but it would be it, would, it it was absolutely dependent upon the uh, the paddle. Wouldn't make any sense with the joystick. Yeah, I think the latency was pretty good on those things. I seem to recall that you could get it was really you could get very precise. I don't think because I don't think there was much. Again, I, we it could just be the the haze of twenty thirty I guess thirty years geez, of of memories. But it, it seems you know it was a very simple. You know, there really wasn't much going on. There wasn't much processing going on. I mean, it was just electrical impulses from the paddle into the thing and then just shooting them up on the TV. There's a, a great book on this that I have not read, but I keep meaning to called Racing the Beam. Yeah, I think I got a copy of that book, like a, a like they, uh, like a courtesy copy as the writer of Daring Fireball. And it's I, like I never read it, but I, it's somewhere on my list of books I actually want to read. Yeah, and I think the title is a reference to the practice of, of trying to do computations. You know, the electron beam is scanning left to right, left to right, doing a rows at a time of the television in your CRT. And it was, you know, there wasn't enough memory to do anything for an entire screen image. So what you would do is do some calculations and the beam would start to draw them. And then you would ditch what you did and start doing new calculations before the beam got to the row that you were figuring out what it was going to look like. Right. Uh, I, I think that's what it's a reference to. Again, not having read the book, I'm surmising based on. But that's that, that's what makes me think it must have been pretty darn responsive. Is that you just had so little to work with and so little to do that? How could you take time to do anything? Because you know, you, you everything just had to be, you know, respond immediately. There was no like big, long, hard thinking about what you were going to do. You didn't have time. You just had to figure out what the dots were going to be and throw them up on the screen and react to input immediately. <laughs> Uh, one of my friends from college, I don't think he listens, I don't know if he listens to this show, but if he's out there, hello, Andrew Ross, uh, good friend from college, but I know he reads the site. Uh, and he uh, corrected me a couple weeks ago. Somehow Pac-Man came up on Daring Fireball, and I called the bad guys ghosts. Um, but they weren't ghosts, they were monsters. That was the, you know, what were the bad guys in Pac-Man? According to the official game, they were monsters. But Atari called them ghosts for the Pac-Man version or the Atari version of Pac-Man because they couldn't figure out a way to, to animate all four of them at the same time. And so they they would draw each of them only one-fourth of the time. And so they looked flickery and transparent because they were only drawing one at a time of the four ghosts or the four monsters. So they just, they just instead of calling it a bug, they just renamed them ghosts and called it a feature. Well, they do look kind of like ghosts. They do look kind of like right. something with a sheet over its head with right. two eye holes cut and like a ragged bottom to the sheet, you know? Right. So it fit, it fit quite well. But yeah, the, the monsters thing, it just sounds like a, you know... 
a bad translation of whatever the word is in Japan for these things, and like, well, that roughly means monster, whatever. <laughs> it's, a, it's a video game. Who cares? Yeah, no, they probably it probably came out because you're uh, what do you call it? Talk? Didn't you do that at Webstock? No, Dude. you know what? I think. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe it was my web. Maybe that's what it was. Because I don't even think I linked to that talk on Daring Fireball, though. But maybe he just saw it because somebody else. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how I saw it, but I, I came up on a Twitter feed or whatever. Maybe just the Webstock account yeah. and someone retweeted it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think though that you're right though, and the reason that I remember them as ghosts is because they do. They have that 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 classic, you know, sheet sheet over a head look, like from a Charlie Brown special. Yeah. I didn't see any kids dressed like that today. Yeah, me, me neither. See any good costumes on the kids? Nah, that was all right. I mean, we don't get a lot of kids here. We get like maybe, you know, three quarters of a bowl of candies worth of kids. And it's mm. mostly like younger kids with, with parents. And some of them are cute, but nothing nothing super impressive. Mm. Also, not, not a lot this year, not a lot of the kids who are not really dressed up, like the kids who are a little bit too old to be trick-or-treating and didn't even put in the effort to put on a thing but just want free candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 uh, when we do trick or treating, usually my wife goes out with the kids, and I I'm the person who mans the house, so you know we can hand out candy right. and be a good neighbor or whatever. And let me tell you, you can learn not everything you need to know, but you can learn a hell of a lot in about three seconds about every kid that comes to your door based on how they deal with the candy situation. Because some you know some some people when you come to their door, they let you know immediately how it's going to be. I I just simply extend the bowl. And do not offer any advice about how many candies you should take or anything like that. Some kids ask, how many can we take? Some kids don't ask and just take one. Some kids don't ask and take two hands full. Some kids, <laughs> you know, like some kids try to take one and say thank you, but then rotate around their friend and come on the other side and take another one and say thank you. You're like, and you could just like, I should be like taking these kids' names down. Uh-huh. All right. I got your number. Yep. Okay. I know about you. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> like, just, it is a... 30-second personality tests for, for young children, how they deal with that bowl of candy. Jonas would certainly be a a take one. He's, he's uh, very... Without asking? Like, if how you many extend it, If you extended it, the bowl, then yep. he, would, he would reach in and very selectively pick whatever, he, you know, take a look and pick one thing that he thought looked best. So the people asking, like, some, and it's also about the way they ask. Because some people are asking is they just want to make sure they're not doing anything bad. But they're also asking because they're hoping the answer is not one. And I give different answers to different kids, you know, because I'm running an experiment here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> depending on how the kids look or whatever, you know, sometimes you say one, sometimes you say two. Really, you know, towards the end of the night, I want, I want the bowl to be depleted so we don't have leftover candy. So I give higher numbers. But then occasionally... The kids will come, and I'll see a couple of greedy people in there, and the one one of their friends will ask, and I'll say one actually, you know, like not like I'll just say one. Try, I'm trying not to interfere with the experiment, but uh, fascinating. I should I should film it. You should tell them take what you feel you deserve. No, that's let your conscience be your guide is what I <laughs> what I almost say to these kids, but I feel like they'll you know I don't want to be the weird house. Take what you've earned. Right. Um, what kind of candy do you give out? Uh, my wife buys it. It's just you know little little miniatures. I, you know, I responded to uh, Marco and, and Tiff's tweet about their their candy and which, which candy do you think would go first? And you know, I I read it late, so I didn't get to answer, but I knew what the answer would be. I didn't see the, it. What were the options? I didn't see the tweet. It was like Whoppers, dots, uh, like look at little Jolly Rancher looking things. Uh, I forget and uh, Butterfingers, I think, and maybe they weren't Jolly Ranchers. They might have been gum, but I you know. The kids, I've learned this from doing Halloween, 
they love the crappiest candy. Whatever is just like sugar, just like nerds or, you know, like dots mm. were the first one to go there. Just terrible, you know, completely sugar candy. My memory from childhood is that you always go for the chocolate first, even when we were little. It's like, are you crazy? Snickers bar versus anything else? Like, you're not going to... Who wants a Jolly Rancher? Who wants a piece of gum? Who wants nerds? Who wants dots? Everyone wanted chocolate. But kids these days... They want Sour Patch Kids. They want Dots. They want Skittles. Like, and we and what we get is, you know, Snickers bars, Milky Way bars, Three Musketeers, uh, Butterfingers, and also, you know, Skittles and some other type of candy. And the terrible crap sugar candy always goes first, and it, mm. it boggles my mind. Yeah, I think I've told this story before. I think back on the old show with uh, with Dan, but the the gold standard for me. In my neighborhood, growing up as a kid, was always uh, full size pack of of Reese's peanut butter cups, the old two packs, right? You'd get two whole peanut butter cups or some other similar full size milk chocolate covered candy bar, a, a, yeah. a full Snickers or a full Hershey bar. A lot of people are doing that. Like it's it's a trend. I mean, yeah. and Andy Anako just posted that that's what he was doing. But like the full size ones. That would start to get spendy with the amount of kids yeah. that we get, and and honestly, I don't think their parents would probably give us the stink eye of giving like this <laughs> this two year old kid a Snickers bar the size of his forearm. Right. It's not, you know, I I know what it's like to have kids. At least with the small ones, you can say, okay, you can have one candy, and they eat one, and they're not wired all night. You eat one of those Snickers bars. That's that's too much. I remember there was the the Stanavich family in my neighborhood growing up, and and uh, Mrs. Stanavich was always really into Halloween. She was just one of those moms who just loved it. They had a pretty cool house, and it had like a second floor porch. I don't know what you call it, you know, like a balcony slash porch on the second floor. And they always every year they hung up like a witch. Like uh, I, she probably it was one of those like tricks of perspective where I'm sure in real life she wasn't actually a five foot tall mannequin she's probably more like four feet tall or something but from the street it looked like a full-size witch on a broom hanging up there and some you know like theatrical some kind of lighting to light her up and it looked great she always gave out full-size candy bars and because she knew me you know because i was like you know like around the corner uh she would like let me take two and i and see and then i would be like really i would think like is this a trick am i you're going to i'm going to get in trouble when i accept the second one right this is this can't be true second one's filled with razor blades though (laughs) (laughs) is that still a thing does that ever? i I don't know i don't think kids know about that these days like these (laughs) days when the kids come we had a separate bowl for peanut free like that's the level things are you know in our neighborhood Right, because right. like the kid and the kids come and they ask for it. They said, "Do you have any peanut free?" And I say, "Actually, I do." <laughs> Here you go. Ready for it? Yeah, the razor blade thing. That, I, that that's got to be one of those things that like never actually happened. No, I don't, I don't think it ever did. But like, just the thought of it was just right. you know, it was enough. It, you yeah, you just turn it over in your mind as a little kid. It's like I love candy and I love Halloween, but biting into a piece of candy and finding a straight razor hitting. You know, right. cutting into the roof of my mouth would not be good. <laughs> it didn't stop you. You'd still get the candy and well, eat it. But and I remember the other one too was uh, I don't know if it was because somebody figured it out that hey, it doesn't even make that. It would actually be like kind of hard to put a razor blade in a candy bar and then seal it back up. Um, the other one was that there were rumors that some people put straight pins in them. 
you know, like yeah, the, yeah, just it's easier, little... easier to sneak in there. Well, the other, like the thing was like they give you an apple, and the apple would have the the tiny thin straight razor in it, right. and that you could sneak in there, and that's just like you know how you bite into an apple, you don't want a razor right. blade being involved there. But yeah, that's all just things that you know to scare kids. As far as I, I've never read an actual documented case of it really happening, yeah. which is pretty amazing considering how prevalent that myth was and how much you know copycat people do crazy right. things like that. Exactly, like nobody would ever think to do it until it became a a, a prevalent meme. And then all sorts of weirdos would think, well, maybe I should do that. I guess maybe weirdos have trouble attracting children to their houses. Because there really are things. Like, I don't really think it was ever a thing where that was an actual problem. But I know that there were things where you can take your Halloween candy to, like, the emergency room and get them x-rayed. I mean, that's like an actual thing in some places. And it's like, imagine if you actually like uh like suffered some kind of accident or injury on halloween and you're waiting you're always wait too long in the emergency room and then you got to sit there and wait for kids to get their damn uh snickers x-rayed i get their candy irradiated right yeah they do stuff like that things just make parents feel better but yeah i guess they could offer that as a service at the airport too like take one of the tsa lines and let kids walk through with their candy and see if it sets it off no, then you'll just see the candy like naked without the wrapper, but you won't actually see what's inside it. <laughs> see all the all the uh, uh, the gummy bears uh, genitalia, smooth as Kendall. Ah, <laughs> uh, Mavericks. Have you gotten used to the name? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, it's. It's weird and awkward, but it's it's fine. It's not it's not like MacBook. It's not like Wii. It's not embarrassing. It's right. just eccentric, which is fine. Right. And apparently, it it did start. I read that the the story behind the name of the location was that you know at some point in the sixty. I guess it didn't even have a name until then when you know like surfing culture got to be big, and then a bunch of you know hippie surfers in the sixties found this great beach, and one of them had a dog named Maverick. And that somehow that's, and who knows if it's apocryphal or not, but that it came from that the beach was Mavericks because it was, that's where the dog Maverick hung out while his owner surfed. So you, you were joining the long and distinguished line of people who uh, have been telling me the origin of the, uh, the name by reciting to me or summarizing to me the very thing that I linked in the paragraph where I discussed the name. And I know everyone doesn't follow every link, but it's like I linked oh, that in the review. I read it on like, the iPad. There's too many There's too many. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I state speed here. But, but the point is, yeah, lots of people are like, you may not know this, but Mavericks is actually blah, blah, So, you know, a lot of people were just simply reciting or copying, pasting the actual page I link, which is like the Wikipedia page about the thing. And the second strain of corrections to this is people saying it's not actually plural you see it's possessive because again this is right. mentioned in the wikipedia it's not you know it's possessive blah blah blah. one person had the presence of mind to link to the other thing which was my second go-to that i was going to link for this but i didn't want to have i didn't want to have too many links see i just linked to the wikipedia page uh page explaining that when they do place names and they're possessive they tend to drop the apostrophes you know like that has historical precedent right. you know saint mary's or whatever it's right. you know st period mary's but without the apostrophe s uh so, yeah, no, I totally understand where the name comes from. I understand what it is. But, you know, if you don't know the backstory and you see Mavericks, it reads as plural. And most yeah. people don't know or care or understand the backstory. Right. And that's why it's awkwardly plural. Is it really plural? Is it, you know, it's either right. awkwardly plural or awkwardly possessive, but, you know, whatever you decide. But there's a certain awkwardness to it. But, you know, Maverick is a word that people know and like and it's distinctive. And hey, it's not a cat, right? So, uh, 
you know, we're off in a new direction, and there are, there are plenty of places in California to to go to next. Does McDonald's still have the the apostrophe? I'm looking it up. Friendly's dropped it. Remember that? Yeah. Or for now, Friendly's dropped. It used to be just Friendly, like did, singular. Yeah. Or was that what did did they switch to? It, they, they added the apostrophe S because everybody called it friendlies. Right. Right. And so it used to be singular, right. friendly. And, and, you know, for the longest time, we had one near where I grew up that had a sign on, like a big fancy sign on a brick building that didn't have the apostrophe S on it. And I would right. I would tell people, you know, the place is actually named friendly, right? And they'd be like, no. I'm like, oh, come look at the sign. And they, they would swear that sign says friendly. And so you get up there and look at it. See, right. no apostrophe S. And then it's like, well, it must have fallen off. Nope. Didn't fall off. We but had. They, they gave in. We had two in my vague hometown area growing up, and one of them was a friendlies, and one was a friendly. And I noticed uh, stuff like that, and I always wondered. In the, and this is before you could look stuff up on the internet. I always wondered whether perhaps they were two rival brands, you know, <laughs> yeah, like McDowell's, right? That they, you know, that, that some jerk, you know, started, you know, friendly after friendlies started because they didn't register the trademark on the non-possessive or something like that. You can get a Sunday and a Yankees cup. Because all I could think was, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you enforce consistency across all of your franchises? Yeah. Well, they did slowly. Did you get, do you have one of those still? Or did you remember getting those? It was like the upside-down plastic baseball cap. Yeah. You get, you get a Sunday in it. I still think I have a Yankees version of that somewhere. Like, I had, I don't know if I got one at Friendly or where I got that, but I do remember having a little... Uh, yeah, like a little plastic batting helmet, roughly the size of a scoop of ice cream. It's a pretty good deal, considering the crap that you get with like Happy Meals and stuff now. That you know they just gave you that as the thing they served your ice cream in, and you take it home, and you got a, a nice little yeah, something you might actually want to keep. And I'm assuming it's licensed from Major League Baseball. It was the real logo on it. Yeah, I'm sure had to be. McDonald's still has the apostrophe. Although I wonder, like, did you have, did you have like Phillies hats or something? You know, I didn't really think about it, but you know, we had Yankees things. I don't know if, I don't know how I got the one. I had a Yankees one. I don't know if, if they <laughs> it was were back all... in the old days when the only, when they just assumed the entire country recognized <laughs> the Yankee supremacy and just, well, the whole country gets Yankees hats. Right. I don't know if, the, I don't know how that, ex I don't know. Or I, you know, for all I know, I don't remember getting it. I just remember having it. And for all I know, somebody, some relative of mine got it somewhere else and you know let's get one of those for john keep it for him i don't know but i remember having the little hat we keep trailing off mavericks and going off into baseball yeah and friendly i really thought this would be the show where there wasn't any baseball the episode where there's no well, they, you know how could it not be like it could have this this could have been preempted by game seven yeah it could have been i kind of i i had a bad feeling about the the, the cardinals no, I don't watch any of it. I'm not paying attention to it at all. But like my Twitter feed is filled with it, so I feel like I'm like, like a contact contact high from uh, baseball talk. <laughs> my dad, I was talking to my dad. My dad's a big baseball fan, and and we were talking the other day. And I guess he and he does not like. I've said this on the show many times. He does not like the American League. He doesn't like the designated hitter rule. So he just, you know, he watches sports and he likes baseball, but he doesn't watch a lot of, he won't just like if it's two American League teams playing on TV on ESPN or something, he won't watch. Um, and so he was really kind of unaware of the whole beard situation with the Red Sox until, I mean, he'd heard about it, but then he was watching the World Series and he was like, he said that the, the Red Sox look like the type of guys, if you saw a couple of them in the bus station, you'd just walk the other way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I knew about the beard thing, but only like, you know, 
academically, like I understood the concept, and then I'd caught a piece of a game, and I'm like, "All oh, right, this is out of control." You know, if someone had a good tweet. I forget who it was. It might, it might have actually been Dan Poger. No, maybe it was a comedian saying, uh, "You know, after the series, the uh, the Red Sox are going to go back to their normal jobs of uh, driving a carriage for the Amish." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like there were just some serious beards, like you know, Jebediah caliber beards poking out of these people here, and that's right. you know. They just look like the type of people who don't, you know, like don't bathe. Or yeah, maybe they don't. I don't. It's know. It's not. It's not a good look on a lot of them. Like being no. looking a little scruffy is good, but once it goes out into, you know, uh, Amish slash homeless person, like that's just it's too much. It's not. It doesn't look. It doesn't look classy. No, it does not. I mean, yeah. Like if some. I don't know enough about baseball to know. I see you making the the comments about like the weird alternate uniforms and stuff like that, but. All sports teams go through some awkward phase with their outfits, but if if you had to pick a team that aesthetically is the apple of baseball, it would be the Yankees with the pinstripes because it's like it's just it's classy and simple and straightforward, and even their logo is you know it's not like a you know weird teal looking thing. Like the Red Sox have a certain class to them, but when you have someone with a big giant beard and like the the, the bright saturated red, it starts to look a little bit Ronald McDonald. <laughs> it did it it did accentuate the un unyankiness of the Red Sox. Yankees, in fact, famously have always had a, uh, like a grooming code, like, uh, in the seventies, you know, and, and maybe even early eighties when men's fashion was such that the hairstyles were longer, uh, you know, the Yankees would occasionally get dinged by George Steinbrenner. Like, Hey, go, you gotta go get a haircut. So they have a Don Mattingly exception. Mattingly got in trouble uh, for his hair at one point later in his career, and it just became like a weird thing. Like, uh, you know, it was just sort of like an 80s mullet type look. And it wasn't really long hair, but I don't know. It was like Steinbrenner got a, a bee in his bonnet over it. and uh, But Mattingly was already like the team captain and a perennial all-star. And I don't know. I just remember as a kid thinking, boy, what a, you know, what a silly thing for the Yankees to be worried about because they stunk at the time. And also the facial hair that you can't you, you know it's like being working at Disney or something like that when you're on the Yankees you can't you can't have you can't can't scare the kids with you know right. that only had the big handlebar right right you could have a mustache couldn't have a beard though I think the most you can get away with is I know that there's some pitchers a lot of pitchers who don't like don't like to shave before they pitch so you could you can go like three or four days without shaving you you don't have to shave every day but you can't grow a beard. I guess, ca- uh, you know, catchers can be Quasimodo. It doesn't matter what they look like. Right? Yeah, nobody ever sees <laughs> their the mask. <laughs> nobody ever sees their face. No one ever sees their face or their prehensile tails. Yeah. Uh, are you sad to see the big cat names go? No, because I think they were out. Like, I would have liked to see a Lynx in there somewhere. I think that's the only one that they, that they left on the floor. Uh, because I think that's kind of a cool name. It's got an X in it. It's interesting. But that would have to be kind of like a middle name. And once you go lion, where can you go? I mean, mount, even mountain lion's a cop out. Like, yeah, I guess it's like lion, but different. But mountain lion is, you know, mountain lion is nothing compared to lion. It's you know, it's it's not lightning bug and lightning, but it's close. Yeah, and snow leopard was sort of it, it worked on two levels where it got them an extra year without coming up with a new cat, and it really did fit that that release in terms of it famously being the look quote unquote no new features release. And snow leopards look cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of it, you know, I, I, you get to pick cool. Lynxes probably don't look that cool, but the name is cool. So but that's probably the only one they, they do. And it's kind of a shame they never got to, like, when they did Cheetah 
and Puma, they were not into the putting the cat branding out in your face. Yeah. Like there was just behind the scenes and then they burned those two names and like, and Cheetah is great as like the ultimate inside joke by the people who are putting out that. OS. Oh yeah. What are we going to start with? Yeah. We're going to call this one Cheetah. Uh, I know. I even want, yeah, I tend to think, I don't even know if that's the origin. If it was, it wasn't like, Hey, let's give them big cat names. It was, Oh my God, this thing is so slow. Let's call it Cheetah internally. And then somehow it stuck. Yeah, and then there's the wine names, which at least they had the good sense. The marketing department had the good sense not to try to go with the wine names, which they continue to have. Do they, like, I don't know about this. Yeah, they all all the OS releases. I think all of them have have you know a in, super secret code name, especially now that the, when the code names became you know it started with Jaguar, where they started to become the, the marketing names as well. They have wine names, and I get I'm, I'm assuming it's Bertrand. I mean, you know. Uh. Gonna go with that, but uh, like even up to Lion, I think Lion was like Barolo or something. I don't drink wine, so I don't know right. a lot of wine names. So one, Pinot was it was uh, maybe ten three or something. I don't remember the name. Some some Apple person could send you an email and tell you hmm. what all the wine names were and are. Uh, but if you if you like grep through the various shell scripts and other readable things, occasionally you can find a comment or a reference to a name of a wine, hmm. and that's what they're talking about. Um. Did we? I forget if I talked about this, and if I did, I would think it might have been when you were on the show. Also, could have been in person, like at WWDC. I don't know, but if I'm repeating myself, forgive me. I don't know. I forget what it's been on this show three months ago. Um, but the other names that were went unused but couldn't for obvious reasons. I was talking to somebody at Apple about them. Was you know how could they if they wanted to? How could they have gotten another cat? Um, cougar which they didn't want to use for the connotation and pop culture of, uh, you know, older women who chase young men. Uh, but Cougar is a pretty cool, you know, until recently, I think they could have used that. I think that that usage of Cougar is kind of a, a, a modern thing. And I think they could have gotten over that. I don't, I don't know that the, that the snickering over calling a version Cougar would have lasted any longer than the snickering over iPad yeah, you know, it, would, it would have blown over, and it was a perfectly serviceable name, right? You know what? Uh, what is it? It's uh, you know, what are they going to call the big one, the Maxi Pad? Uh, you know, I, I think Cougars. You know, I mean, there was John Cougar Mellencamp. I mean, it's a pretty cool cat. Uh, what was the other one? Can't remember. There was one more that they could. Oh, Ocel- Ocelot. Ocelot is, uh, you know, is one. Uh, I think I, I, I could swear I've had this conversation before. I just can't remember if it was on the show or not. Jonas used to play in when he was the seven and eight year old little league teams uh, in the league he played here in Philly. All the teams had big cat names, and I think that there were ten or eleven teams in the league, so it was a little bit more than you know the maybe there are twelve teams, so it was more than the OS releases, and there there was an ocelots. Uh, which I think is probably the worst. I mean, it's, you know, most of the kids couldn't even spell that. And the other cool cat that was one of his team names, and they, I know that Apple considered it. I think if they had gone one more, this is the one they would have used, was uh, Wildcats. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of these names, as, you know, any biologist points out, they're like different names for the same actual animal and then known by different names. And Wildcat, I'm assuming, is, you know, similar type of because what the hell is a Wildcat, right? Right. You know, but like the wildcat is a one that definitely has. You have to tie that to something. There has to be something wild about it. Like, right. you know, Mavericks is like, oh, it's a little bit Maverick. It's different or whatever. But 
not it's not saying like wildcat like wildcat could be like when you do you know an ios six to seven type transition oh it's wildcat it's wild you know whatever uh but you can't just you can't just slap that on something like if they had called this one wildcat all the reviews would be like this isn't very wild (laughs) and i mean even now like a lot of them were like it's even mine like it's not particularly maverick like i made that point in the end of it it's like you know kind of like cheetah was the slowest maverick is not really, you know, boldly asserting a, you know, new direction. It's kind of not Maverick. I, I'm going to, I don't want to spoil it. I'm going to assume, I think, you know, hopefully, I think that, you know, anybody out there is listening. Uh, you've you've had plenty of time to read John's review. So, I mean, I don't want to spoil it. But at the end, you, you said if it was, uh, if OS ten were anthropomorphized, you, you cast as, as OS ten Woody Allen. And you said iOS would be the the suave coolness yeah. of uh, Brad Pitt. This, I could totally see Brad Pitt as iOS anthropomorphized. I wouldn't say Woody Allen though. Well, I say not not the OS, but this particular release yeah, of the OS because release. it's kind of like, oh well, you know, I don't know about this whole wood thing. We're gonna get the wood out there, but you know, just I think everything is okay if we'll leave it the Felton Game Center. This is my Woody Allen impression. That's so pretty that's, good. That's, that's I'm really enjoying that. I, but like, but yeah, like it's like. Woody Allen is kind of cool in some of his movies, you know, but he also can get easily flustered and seems uncertain, right? And so this thing is like, it's it's kind of got a little bit of, you know, uh, Woody Allen is smart and and resourceful and 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 introspective. Like that was the subhead of this thing of like time for introspection. It seems like OS Ten is like looking itself in the mirror and go, "What am I going to do with my life?" And it's wiped off a lot of the crap that was added to all those applications, making them look like books and look like the iOS apps. Uh, but that's all it's done at this point is wipe the stuff off. Like it just smear, 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 leather gone from calendar. But it's not like, oh, let me just radically rethink all these applications. And some of them it didn't even get time to clean up. So it 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 knows it doesn't want to be it knows what it doesn't want to be, but doesn't even have the, the time to rewind it. And so that's why I'm looking for something that's like, you know, uh, Woody Allen is what people have different impressions of Woody Allen, so that's difficult to say. Like when most people would not think of the Woody Allen, like maybe if you're a neurotic New Yorker, you will look up to Woody Allen in some degree, but other people might look at Woody Allen as just entirely like the, you know, sort of nervous, sweating, fidgeting type of thing. But there are admirable things about Woody Allen, but he also has that angle of, of uncertainty and, you know, always questioning himself. Yeah. I guess there is a sort of uh, introspection is a good way to put it, where that's really where most of the changes in Mavericks are. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's very obvious. You don't even have to read it. A, you know, a 24,000 word review to figure out that it doesn't really look different than before. Other than, as you said, in the case of specific apps that have been these, you know, let's use the S word, skew, skew amorphized. Use uh, the F word, deforestalled. Deforestalled, right. Um, but what did they end up looking like? They've really, all those apps, you know, like, like contacts and et cetera, uh, really just look like generic apps you know it, it it's just a very straightforward right out of app kit look well, and, and, not, feel. And, and not even that because if you had made them straight with app kit they would not be like they are what they are is like underneath that cl- like it's like makeup if you wipe off all that makeup underneath there is like just the thing that was always under there because it's strangely structured like the like you know contacts where they had the three panes out of the books yeah, or whatever you're right now, uh, w- once you get rid of the book art 
It's like, would I ever make this window if I didn't know that previously it had started as a book type thing? And they made the three panes more or less independently resizable so you can get it into arrangements that would never correspond to a book that always had to be split down the middle. But if you just started from scratch and said, make me a contacts window, you would never make a window like that. It only makes sense if you look at, oh, I see it used to be covered with a book, you know, right. uh, like or, or the uh, the notes application. Oh, I see this used to be yellow lined paper and then this was a sidebar. Now it's just kind of like this beige thing like. You have to know where it came from for the current windows to make sense. Otherwise, they look kind of small and squinty and strange and use weird fonts and don't look like, you know, Mac apps at all. They look like iOS apps that have, uh, you know, been scoured down. And that's more or less what they are. And yeah. again, I assume it's because they didn't have time to do anything else. They, they said, well, we're sure as hell not not shipping that leather stuff anymore. That was the easiest one. OK, just replace it with a gray header and throw a little bit of, a, you know, thin Helvetica in there for like the month name or whatever. But they're they're not entirely rethought. It's just like. Uh, you know, backpedaling. Yeah. Notes in particular, I think really kind of sticks out. Cause like you can like double click a note to open it into its own window, but it's, it doesn't have a standard window title bar at all. It's like a, yeah, it used to be like a little yellow sticky note. And now that they're not that yellow anymore, now it's just like a weird window. <laughs> you right. know, it doesn't, doesn't make it doesn't read uh, that well. And, and like, you know, reminders kept like whatever that crazy black stuff is. You know, it's like, well, they didn't have time to redo reminders. They didn't right. have time to get to redo Game Center. It's just too much graphics, and all those people are too busy working on iOS seven now. And you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like if you want to go with the anthropomorphized thing. I'm, I'm, it's sort of like somebody who's like sobered up after like a, <laughs> uh, a, a long bender. And Game Center is like the face tattoo. Yeah, sort of, or you know, it's it, it, you know maybe a face tattoo is a little t- tough, but or a little you know a little out there. But yeah, I was going you know, for the hangover, which right. I haven't seen, but uh, but it's you know it's the lampshade on the head, uh, you know, and it's it's like well you know it's like you woke up and you're just like geez, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put on a t-shirt, call it dressed. Uh and but it, to the introspection, though, I did, you know, so yeah, the look and feel is obviously it's really just taking out those over the top skeuomorphic resources. And that's really the extent of significant changes to the way it looks. I mean, like you. Well, they, they changed the dock again, too. I mean, like they always screw with the dock. Yeah. So the, dock it, on, the dock on the side looks different. Like, yeah. You know, there are so few, there are so few user interface elements that are guaranteed to be visible in OS 10. The dock is, it's like the dock, the menu bar, and the window title bar. So, like, that's the look of the OS because there's yeah. not, there's not that much other surface area. So, anytime they change the dock, it's like, well, that's, that's the one thing that you know is going to be in people's faces. And, right. you know. Uh, so most of the changes, you know, how do you write a 24,000 word review of an OS that didn't really change that much the way it looks? It's, you know, the, the stuff that's new is under the hood. It, it And it's really sort of a deep, like, it is sort of introspective. It's like, why are we doing this? Why are we, why have we spent all this time over the, you know, decades letting, but, background processes consume as much CPU time as they could. Yeah, Why like what, we, what is the purpose of the OS? What is right. the job of the OS? Do, job used to be like give every process all the resources it needs and manage access to the hardware and coordinate them all and have them, you know, just maximize it. And now it's like, you know, it's, it's like the parent that was too permissive and right. it realizes like, what what is the purpose of being a parent? Is it just to give your kid everything that they want? Maybe not. Like iOS, again, you know, can't talk about the Mac without talking about iOS, iOS showed, you know, because you had to, you had no choice. Like you're on a phone, you can't have all that crap in the background. And it was, 
you know, th- there's that story that I don't remember the source of this. Maybe you do of like Steve Jobs. Yeah, I'm, the the, I'm the source of the story. I wanted to tell you this. <laughs> I don't this is my story. Well, I wasn't there, but I but know, you, you, I, I you spoke got... to someone who was there. It was after uh, the iP- original iPad was unveiled. So it's 2010. And that, you know, it had been a secret project. Everybody, there was something, something Apple's doing a tablet. But, you know, and like any Apple project, only the people who worked on the iPad, you know, knew about the iPad before it came out. I mean, the iOS team knew more or less, but that was it. But then after it came out, then everybody in Apple knew what it was and, and then he could do it. And there was a meeting with the hardware team for the, the MacBook hardware team. And it was, what are we going to do for the next MacBook? And, uh, you know, and Jobs had been on his first medical leave, the, well, not first, but the, you know, first towards, you know, the latter years of his life. In 20, 2009, he'd been gone a lot of the time. And it was when he came back, you know, it was that first, that one, it was the medical leave that started with him canceling the Macworld keynote and et cetera. And it was when he came back in the summer and it was like, what is he going to do with maybe less time that he can spend? In? And he spent the rest of that year doing the original iPad. But it really devoted himself to it. I mean, he knew the iPad in and out. And so his next meeting with the the MacBook people, this must have been probably like March of 2010. Uh, it, they came in a room and they expected it was like budgeted at like three hours. It was like going to be a three-hour meeting where Steve Jobs is going to lay out the line of what are we going to do with the MacBook. He came in carrying an iPad. And there were all, all the existing MacBooks were on the table. And he said, here, look at this. This is a sleep. And then he p- touched the button on the iPad, and it instantly turned on. He goes, now it's awake. And he goes, I'm going to do it again. He turned it off. He says, now it's asleep. Touch the button. Now it's awake. He goes, why can't I do that on this? And pointed to a MacBook, and then he just left the room. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the same thing that we all felt like when we, you know, the, the iPhone to begin with. is like, that's why it seems so magical. You'd use it, and you're like, why is this thing that I know is like one, especially the original iPhone, one ten thousandth as powerful as the Mac? Why does it feel so? Why does it feel so fast? Why does it feel so responsive? Why does the Mac? Now? It's kind of unfair to do that to the MacBook hardware team if that's who he was talking to, because yep. it's not just a hardware solution, right? And like you know, Mavericks is the is finally the software side of that coming. It's like you know, all these things that iOS does to you know to 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 be that responsive and such crappy hardware. Uh, finally getting the Mac to get some of that religion, you know, do less stuff, only do what the the user asks, do what they ask immediately, everything else, you know, get screwed. Uh, And you can't do that entirely on the Mac because the part of the Mac is you're supposed to be able to run all this stuff in the background. But if you, if you spend any time with the command line tools like FS usage uh, or in the old days, SC usage and these other command line tools that show you what's going on on your system, FS usage in particular, I'm always looking at because I'm always trying to figure out what the hell is grinding my disk to death. So much crap. Just just run this, you know, on your machine now. FS underscore usage. It should be in your path if you've got the, maybe it's part of the dev tools. Look at how many processes are just beating your disk to hell. And you're like, what are these things doing? Does something really need to be checking this preference file 30 times a second? You know, it's sometimes I, I've i written bug reports for programs to say, your program is lo- looking at this, fi- statting this file like literally hundreds of times a second. All right. Like that seems excessive. Don't do that. And and Mavericks is, you know, like, what is the role of the OS in the introspection angle? Maybe the role of the OS is to, is to say, I don't care how fast you want to check that file. If you're not 
the process that the user is interacting with, but you're some faceless demon and something else is going on and more important things are happening, you're going to be throttled. I'm going to give you less CPU time. And, you know, there's always been, you know, process priority and stuff like that. But and Mac OS X has always prioritized the, you know, quote unquote, interactive tasks over the non-interactive ones. But Mavericks is really cranking it up, not just giving them less time, but also trying to have fewer of those things happening. And it's kind of weird. It's happening at the same time that iOS 7 is finally saying, okay, a couple of applications can run in the background, kind of like you do on the Mac. Like, you know, iOS used to be just this totalitarian regime where nobody gets to run only one process at once. And now, you know, with the A7 and stuff, they finally have enough CPU power to say, okay, we can open up the policy a little bit. Apps can run in the background subject to some description restrictions. And, you know, the Mac is coming from the other direction, trying to lock everything right. down. But I, I, it's one of those things where I feel like you had to go all the way to the iOS, you know, the iPhone and iPad to sort of open your eyes to to these questions. You know, the questions just didn't occur prior to that. Like, why would you let a, an application who you, the, that the user can't even see, why are we letting it spend as much CPU time as it wants to update its UI? You know, yeah. it's, it's, that, and, it doesn't make any sense. Whereas iOS, that's like when you think, when you sit there and think, well, why, why does the iPad get such amazing battery life? And one of the things is even now that it has multitasking and you can keep multiple apps in memory to some degree and you get a real win out of that when you switch, you know, if you're, if you're switching from mail to Safari to your Twitter client and all three of them can stay in, in open in RAM, uh, they may not be doing stuff in the background, but then when you switch to them, it's right there where you left off and there's no weight at all. But on the other hand, it's not doing anything in the background that you don't need to happen. And all of a sudden, I think that you know Apple is clearly asking, why can't the Mac be more like that? So here's the thing about that Steve Jobs story. Uh, at that time, and you know to this day, but at that time as well, Macs had an amazing reputation for being the laptop that wakes from sleep really, really fast. Like yeah. they were the gold standard of the industry, you know. And like even among PC users, they'd see how fast. This is before that meeting; they had this reputation, right. and it's exactly it's a totally a Steve Jobs move to come into the room. And the one thing he picks on is the one thing that 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 MacBooks are universally recognized as being the best in the industry at, and mm-hmm. that's the thing that he says is crap. And why is it crap? Because Apple itself had made a device that shows. You know, don't don't be satisfied merely by being the laptop that wakes from sleep the fastest. There's a whole other realm of possibility over here on this little thing. Right. Don't just compare yourself to the Windows PCs. Right. And and the thing about the iPad, I remember back in the day, and I, I even find myself slipping into this. I think I even did in the review. Like the iPad was so amazing because you know it was like 10 hour battery life, and that's when laptops were getting like three and four hour battery lives. And you look at it and you're like, how the hell does this thing have a 10 hour battery life when the battery for like a MacBook Pro or whatever weighs more than the entire iPad screen yeah. and all, right? Just the, we have this huge battery and we get like three hours and they have a battery that's so skinny that we barely need to shove it in the back of this thing. And that continued to happen as the battery for the iPad got skinnier and skinnier. Uh, it was like, you know, the Mac laptops had bigger batteries. And now finally with Mavericks, and even before that with Haswell, like finally Mac laptops are getting the benefit of having just massively more battery than than the iPad because the iPad now has this little tiny sliver. The iPad Air has like a battery; it's probably like a sheet of paper inside there. You know, there's no room in there. How the battery is so tiny compared to the battery in a 15-inch MacBook Pro, which is just a whole, you know, seven big chunky cells. You right. know, they're still small, but like, uh, and like a MacBook Air with running Mavericks, you're getting like you know 14, 15 hours of battery life. So now suddenly, 
all right, this, the world makes sense again. The thing with the bigger battery does get more battery life, whereas before it was like the thing with the bigger battery gets a third of the battery life of the iPad. Right. Why in the world does the Mac, the, even the 11-inch MacBook Air, uh, which clearly has the smallest battery of any MacBook because it's you know the smallest anything in a MacBook, uh, but if it weighs two and a half times as much as an iPad, how could it not get better at battery life? It's or at just, least match it or something. Yeah, but it was, you know, and I think it's only really with this year's models that it really jumped past it. And like you said, with Mavericks, it's clearly past it. I mean, it's, you yeah. know. Haswell is the big part of it in terms of like, you know, the hardware. That was the big win, you know, get, getting the CPU, putting more stuff on the chip, you know, like we're not, it's not an A7 system on a chip yet, but like we're, they're, they're going towards each other. And then the software side of it is the other half of that. Okay, we have the CPU and chipset that's able to not use a lot of power and it's not doing anything. Now it's the OS's job to make sure we're not doing anything when we're not doing anything. Well, you you but you ran your own tests for your review where you you know and you it's you know like a real world test. It's not some kind of abstract benchmark. It was loading web pages, waiting a couple seconds, you know, maybe to simulate actually, you know, looking at the web page and then closing it and loading more. Yeah, I got a newfound, uh, not a newfound, but I always had respect for NN Tech and those people with lots of benchmarks. But doing benchmarks like this, like synthetic ones are so much nicer because they're repeatable. But I'm doing real benchmark using real websites. Right. Right. And real websites vary from day to day. Right. And, or, you know, yeah. like you and you installed the Flash plugin to yeah, simulate like, real world usage. But then if 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 your advertisements that are Flash based consume CPU, it matters which ads load. Yeah. And, and so like I would have to because I'm trying to I was trying to compare Mavericks to Mountain Lion. And I, you know, you'd run I'd only had one machine to test on. So I'd run the Mavericks one. I'd reboot and right for the battery to recharge and run the next one. And. I kept getting, I was getting such variability on the mountain line ones. The Mavericks ones are pretty consistent, but but the mountain line ones just varied like crazy. And so I was, I you know, I went. The numbers in the review are direct numbers from runs, right? But we had many many runs, and I was like, should I average them? Should I not? I just kind of took one, an actual run that was kind of in the middle. Hmm. But they vary. It's like, what is the weather on the internet today in terms of flash ad crap? Right. And if it's a bad flash ad weather day on the internet the machine that willingly runs flash ads is going to get slaughtered. And Mavericks is like, I don't care what the flash ad weather is like. I'll load the flash thing, but I'm not going to let it autoplay. Like, right. I, I intentionally pick pages that occasionally had autoplaying ads, like YouTube and uh, I think The Verge has them occasionally as well. Right. Like, I was trying to pick, you know, sites that tech nerds might go to. And the, the test itself, I, I think it was gentle, like it was a light usage test because it was like, Go to web pages, change to a tab, go to a text edit document, add a line of text, let the autosave thing work, hide the window, show the window, bring this tab to the front, hide that tab. Like, but it's really light usage, you know, not doing anything strenuous at all. So in that respect, it's not representative of you actually like, using and hammering on your computer. But I just wanted to see like what kind of percentage increase could we get? And I was trying to, you know, demo AppNap, making sure that AppNap was a factor. Like I was stopping for like five seconds at least between uh, changing tabs to simulate like reading something for five seconds, and that's enough time for AppNap to kick in. And Flash was there to demonstrate the amazing benefit you get by not auto playing Flash ads, even though Flash was installed. Like you know, so it's uh, if people read it, and, and they should look at the Mountain Lion numbers because if you're not currently getting twelve or thirteen hours out of uh, Mountain Lion, you're not going to get fifteen hours out of Mavericks. It's like the the percentage increase is probably representative, right. uh, but you know the absolute value is like it depends on the age of your battery and all that stuff. But that it 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 does seem true though. I mean, it really just seems bottom line true, and I, it's one of those things that seems it's any it sounds too good to be true, and everybody naturally sort of 
just thinks, uh, let's see when, you know, when Craig Federighi first, uh, ran through the features back at WWDC of Mavericks and said that, you know, we can get with these things that we're doing, you know, AppNap and the coalesced, uh, uh, network and timers. And, yeah. And IO, you know, that if you can even just coalesce hitting, uh, you know, hitting the hard drive uh, that you can, you know, it adds up and you're going to get, you know, I don't know, 20, 30% more battery life just by upgrading to the new OS. That sounds too good to be true. You know, yeah, and, and Apple wouldn't, I asked Apple if they had any kind of number that they were going to throw out there as a marketing type thing. And, you know, I, I really didn't expect anything and to the credit, they didn't give one because this is the thing about battery life. Like the whole, the whole game here is you're not like, you're not, you can't get blood from a stone. The battery has the energy that it has. The CPU has the energy it has. And that's, I was trying to emphasize that with the early on graph showing, you know, pulled right from WWC. Like, look at this CPU. It uses like nothing when you're not using it, but it uses 25 watts when you're, when you're hammering it. And right. it's like a it's a fifty four watt hour battery. Do the math. How many hours do you get when you're using twenty five watts and your battery is fifty four watts? You don't get twelve. <laughs> that's for sure. Like, right. and that's the thing about battery usage. And that's why I talked about the application so much. Is that you get this you get this new OS and you go out and you put it on your machine and you're like, wow, now I'm going to get real battery life increase. There's nothing the OS can do if you're running a bunch of crap that is just you know hammering your CPU and your GPU constantly. Like the OS can't stop that. If you have some third party thing that's in your menu bar drawing 60 frames a second constantly, that is going to suck your power like a vampire. Like Mavericks' whole trick is it doesn't magically make more battery; it makes less stuff go on. But if you force stuff to go on, you're gonna like you could burn your out through your battery just as fast on Mavericks as you can a mountain line if you just have a bad application, just one bad application. So there's the what do you call it the the, the the wall of shame in that yeah, when you the, go energy shaming. Yeah. It's <laughs> a great idea. And I think it's one of my favorite parts of your review because I noticed the feature uh, and I thought, Oh, that's interesting. And it shows, and for anybody who doesn't know, it's like when you go to the, the battery meter in the menu bar, and I do you even is that on desktops? Where how does that show up on desktops? Yeah, I I would went I went to look for it recently. I'm like I wish that showed up on desktops because even though I don't have battery power, I want to know what the hell is stealing my CPU cycle, right. hitting my disk, and doing all this crap. Right. So they they it's it's in the battery meter. So I guess you don't see it on desktops. But you go up to the little battery thing in the menu bar and you pull it down. And in addition to telling you the stuff it used to tell you, like you know whether you show the percentage or not, or just show the icon and. It now has a list of apps using significant energy, and so they—it's all posited in the terms of energy. But like you said, it also means which apps are slowing my system down. If there's an app using thirty percent of your CPU, even if you're plugged into AC, if you're using a Mac Pro or an iMac or something, uh, you'd still like to know about that app because if you can make it stop doing that your machine will be faster and, and it's brutal because like first of all it shows the icon so like your your face is out there and right. you know uh, and the battery menu is like people know about the battery menu any like they people just know about it like it's it's they like to have it in the menu bar that they, they don't just look a little icon like it is very likely to be found because you can get all the same information by just going to activity monitor but nobody knows about activity monitor. Right. normal normal users don't hang out there so if you look in the menu it's it's putting in front of more or less regular users faces potentially your application icon and like i said in the review like if i was a developer i would be kind of annoyed by this because you just know the support email you're yep. going to get because like oh your app is using significant it's like you're it's a game you're playing the game of course it's going to be using <laughs> right like, what do you what the hell like it's not magic like and your app is going to show up and you're just going to have to field request after request about like yes i understand you know 
people are going to complain. But it's it's the only way to do it to get you know to shame the people who really need to be shamed. Like your stupid little dinky thing that I'm not even using is showing up on this menu. What the hell is the deal? Right. Like uh, and and when you select it from the menu, it goes to activity monitor with the application highlighted, like as right. in kill me now like this is a quit button right up in that like it's right. it's it's like volunteering to say this here's the guilty application you want to kill it off just click this big red stop sign button in the toolbar and we'll kill it so uh the day that mavericks came out my friend uh uh james duncan davidson uh, the photographer he just emailed me with a oh boy uh screenshot of his app shame list which listed photoshop and he said, this is with no documents open. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and now there's the thing where it's like, if you really, you know, if Photoshop is, I, who knows what the hell it's doing, but if it's doing something where it's using significant energy while you don't even have a document open, uh, but your professional work is such that you need Photoshop, well, what do you, you know, this is what you're getting at, though. You're not, you know... You gotta, Mavericks, you, you, your computer is there to be used for something. Right. But Mavericks <laughs> yeah. isn't going to magically make that less painful on your battery life. Yeah. And, uh, and the thing is, that's not an instantaneous. It's not a snapshot of like looking at activity monitor top. It is like that energy stuff is averaged over a long period of time. So it's trying to say like in the past 10 minutes, 15 minutes, hour or whatever, like even an activity monitor, like the average energy impact, like it's not like right now I'm not doing anything in Photoshop. Why is it in the menu? It's in the menu because over the past little while, that's right. been the guy that's been using a lot of your energy, even if you're not doing it right now. So if he was just saying, like, I don't have any documents open now and it's still in the menu, yeah, yeah it's going to be in the menu. But if you haven't touched Photoshop in 10, 15, 20 minutes and it's still in the menu, then maybe something's going wrong. Like, obviously, it's there it's there kind of, quote-unquote, unfairly. And it's, it's I think, the, the annoying users who are going to send an email to developers, maybe not Adobe because they're not going to listen or whatever. But, you know, if, you're, if you make some little application – and your users keep sending you email. Maybe it'll make you, you know, look at the WWDC session about how can I make my application energy more energy efficient? Because there are so many, there's so much low hanging fruit uh, that regular developers can do. And Apple trying to preach at them at WWDC saying, oh, you know, having session after session about here's how you be energy efficient. They've been doing that for years. And developers are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Now, if it's a support load and your customers realize that you're doing something silly, then maybe you're like, okay, fine. I'll go look at the sessions and I'll, I'll change my application. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just like one of those cultural things where maybe, you know, it, it's like we all, you know, it, it's like the way that, uh, you know, certain values you, you get get hammered, you know, just kind of become ingrained over time. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. It just might be a bad analogy. But like when, when I grew up, you know, nobody had car seats and the kids just stood in the back seat and jumped up and down until you got to where you were going. Now, if you saw like a four-year-old kid standing in the back seat of a car, you'd be appalled. You would you, think you call, you call the police? I wouldn't. I mean, I, you know, I'm like... You just want kids to die, I know. Right. Well, uh, I don't want him to die. I would just wish him good. I would just send like a, a good thought his way and hope that hope his parents are safe drivers. I don't want to get involved. Is that terrible? Would you call the police? Talk to Amy about it after the show. All right. Um, but you know, it, it's collectively we it, we've shared we've 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 raised the importance of of safety in cars. You know, collectively, you know, where adults are expected to be wearing seatbelts, seatbelts are expected to you know it, you know it, we expect even more now. We have airbags and side impact airbags. We have all this stuff. You're expected to you know 
survive most car crashes. You know, it's just become a priority. And I think that energy usage and, and doing, you know, just every little step along the way, you know, prioritizing these things has got to become like a developer priority. Yeah, I, I remember what I, I don't remember what I actually said, but I was tempted to say that that little menu, that little presence in the menu bar is like the most important energy saving feature of the OS, like yeah. long term, right? because it's it's the part you can do all you want with the internals and all you want with developer evangelism, but it's like it's so hard to you know it's it's like eating your vegetables. It's so hard to get people to care about this. You need something. What's going to move the needle on this one aspect of this? Because that's the worst thing that could have happened to Apple. And that's that's one of the reasons that I ran my Mavericks energy test with only Apple supplied applications plus Flash, is because if third party developers don't get on board with this, there's nothing Mavericks can do to keep to, to extend your battery life because you're just going to keep running the same third party applications you have. They're going to eat up all your battery. And, you know, maybe the OS trying to be quiet will help a little, but if, if the OS itself, you know, if you aren't using Apple's bundled applications, you aren't getting the benefit of Apple's work that they did on that. And if you, if the OS is rarely doing anything anyway, so maybe you get a little benefit, but third-party applications will just kill your battery life. And so how do you do that? If, if we, we made this amazing OS that can be super energy efficient. We have all these new APIs that you can learn when you're not visible and learn when you don't have to draw stuff and set your priorities and throttle if no one uses those apis you don't get the benefit of all this hard work it's like how the hell do we get people to use these apis you have to shame them you have to put them up there and go this guy right here he sucks you know and you're going to unfairly shame applications that are not doing anything bad that merely are being used a lot because uh, or because the the whole point of them is to do something cpu yeah like like a game like yes a game is going to destroy your battery life that's the whole point of the game is to use every single resource on the entire system to its maximum extent if if you're not using every execution unit in your and every core in your cpu and you know using all the bandwidth and all the processing power in your gpu you know, that's not a good game design, right? Or if you shoot 300 photographs and a bunch of videos on vacation and come in and plug it in and take start sucking those pictures off your SD card into iPhoto or Lightroom or Aperture, and you have it set to, you know, uh, like Aperture or Lightroom, I don't know if iPhoto does, but you can like, and you know, put like a, a default filter over every one of them. You're filtering 300 photos at once while reading from a slow SD card. It's going to be, you know... Uh, that that's exactly what you're asking the app to do though is to do something that is yeah. you know io and cpu intensive and so it's going to get painted with that same brush so it's not it's not a perfect system but it's the only the only tool they have at their disposal they were desperate enough it's like we've just got to shame them you know like they, i guess it's kind of still hidden a little bit but it's it's prominent enough like activity monitor is not sufficient no right. one goes to activity monitor but people click that battery menu especially when they want to see like the time remaining if they don't display it you know like they're like, oh, let me, I see the battery it has a, it, the little stuff inside the battery has moved a little bit, but I want to know how much time do I have left. And a lot of people don't display that in the menu bar. I don't even know if you can anymore uh, because it takes up more room. So they click to see. And when they click to see it, there is the hall of shame right there. <laughs> I love it. I do. I, I do. I just did not give. That's just one of those things where I just didn't give it a lot of thought before reading your review. And then I really like you said, I really do think it might have the most lasting impact of all of these changes on battery life. All right, let me do the second sponsor break. I want to talk about uh, our good friends, longtime Mac developers, now great iOS developers too, Smile. And they have a great app I want to tell you about called PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen Scan Plus. It's a great app. One-touch scanning directly from your iPhone or iPad camera. You can scan multiple pages into a single document. You can use OCR 
to convert scans into searchable PDFs. The OCR is performed by the app itself, not offloaded to a cloud service. Um, so you can do OCR even if you aren't connected to the network or if you have sensitive documents that you can't share or you know maybe it's like a HIPAA type thing, you're not you know legally, you can't have this thing going off to a cloud service, happens right there on your iPhone or iPad. You can export PDFs with the OCR text included. Uh, they support 16 languages for OCR. It's a perfect companion to Smile's great app, PDF Pen, uh, for iPad and iPhone, which is a great, great PDF. These guys have been doing great stuff with PDF uh, for longer than I can remember. Uh, they have sharing options. You can share by Dropbox, uh, Evernote, other services. But you know, just hooking up to Dropbox alone means that you can use your iPhone or iPad to scan documents, put them together, multiple pages, one document, share it by Dropbox, and there it is waiting for you when you get back to your Mac or wherever else you want it. Uh, PDF Scan Plus is available on the App Store at the intro price of just $4.99. Five bucks, and it's like you've got what used to be, you know, a $100, $200 document scanner right there on your iPhone. Um, they have a great video, a demo video by David Sparks, uh, who's, uh, you know, great podcaster and blogger. Uh, he'll show you all the powerful features uh, that are packed into this great tool. So where do you go to find out more? Go to smilesoftware.com slash talkshow. smilesoftware.com slash talkshow. And it will um, take you right there to the page where you can you can learn all about it. Great app. Scanning is one of those things that I still like let out a sigh when I realize I have to use my scanner because I've got my printer hooked up to my airport thing but i can't do scanning through it so every time i got a scan i have to like plug the printer directly into the computer to use a stupid flatbed scanner and lift the thing up and put it on oh, so terrible i i should just get this app and just stop doing that because i don't care about you know like i, I just want you know scanning documents for you know archival purposes or whatever just take my phone or ipod and take a picture of the thing yeah it makes a ton of sense for me i mean it's and you know what am i doing i mean how often do i need to scan something but when i do it's such a pain yeah, and the P, P, you didn't mention, but like PDF Pen, their other application for editing PDFs, it always annoyed me dealing with PDFs. Like a preview would almost kind of, it was so close to being what you wanted, but you're like, oh, well, you can't really do that because it's a PDF and PDFs aren't editable. They're read only, right? And having PDF Pen, like the whole concept of it's a PDF, but you can finally screw with it. It's like, oh, thank God, because it's nothing worse than just dealing with a PDF that you just want to change one little thing in or modify in some simple way that you think should be possible and is not. Right. And it's, you know, it's, I forget when I first saw that, you know, like PDFs that you could have that were clearly scanned, but were had been OCR'd, so you can search. Yeah, you'd and, swipe the text, and you're like, right. how is it selecting this text? Right, how because this is clearly not a font. This is, you know, this looks like a fax. It There's looks, like ink blots and everything, and right. you're, you're swiping over it. Powerful stuff. Uh, I, OCR seems like one of those tasks, I guess, it's never going to be perfect, of course. I mean, you, you've talked about this on your show Um uh, with Marco and Casey about, you know, the, the, I talked to Marco about it too. The episode a couple weeks back where, where Casey brought up, uh, the episode of the shield show where, where they made a joke about Siri and you pointed out, look, Siri could improve a lot and maybe it needs to improve a lot, but it's never going to not be make funnable, right? We're never going to get to a part point where AI, at least in our lifetimes where AI isn't going to be, 
have some kind of uncanny valley where it's clearly not a person and therefore we can make fun of it. OCR is sort of like that. If you want to get really depressed about that, think how often you see people make fun of their human, uh, you know, coworkers or assistants. Even when you have an actual human, it's the subject of ridicule about how it doesn't understand what you want because it's not inside your brain. Like right. it's it's an uns it's literally an unsolvable problem. You know, unless unless we have like direct telepathy or become a hive mind. You know, and same thing with OCR. It's like human beings can't read stuff when it's sufficiently smudged and crappy. Like just look at the stupid captures that we all have to do on the, on the web. Did you see the uh, Paul? I uh, forget his last name. The guy from Tapbots. Uh, Tapbots Paul. Yeah, I know. Tapbots. See, that's that's the thing. <laughs> it's, I don't it's, know it's his last handle, name. Right? Tapbots Paul. Paul Haddad. Paul Haddad. He bought a a Surface, Microsoft Surface, to try it out. And you have to capture, yeah, you yeah. Have to capture on like a login or something. You you buy a new Surface and you start setting it up, and the first run experience, like step four of the first run experience, is to do a captcha, and it's like what? <laughs> just, just in case you're a robot, with, right. uh, with with hot dog fingers using the Surface, <laughs> right? But why why do they care if robots are buying Surfaces? You're buying a Surface. Like, it's like maybe you know again you know with Waterfield or hot dog fingers like there's a bunch of like <laughs> machines somewhere where they have a bunch of services lined up with these little things you know <laughs> you know trying to scam captures or <laughs> I don't the, I understand it either. There's I mean, another uh, a capture that I don't understand the scenario that they're defending against either is uh uh the what's that uh, the go go wireless internet on the airplane uh. At least, on, you know, that's the, the, the network we have on US Air. And you, you, I have an account. I fly enough where I have, like, I just have, like, my account credentials saved. So when I'm on an airplane and there's Wi-Fi, I type in my password. I say, yes, use my saved credit card. And then I have to do a CAPTCHA. And it stinks, like, if you're on the phone because it it's like you can't see the CAPTCHA and see the text field and the keyboard all at the same time. So you have to like memorize the captcha and then type it in. And it's case sensitive. It's like what what I don't understand what they're defending against. I just gave you my username and password. I just let you charge my credit card. Why do you you know, why am I doing a captcha? There is a BS business buzzword to explain every crazy thing like that. And I think in this case the BS word is best practices, which is someone just decides it's best practice to have a captcha on every login screen and then they blanket apply that policy. Why? Best practices, best practices. Right. This is definitely a Merlin topic. And you know, and so you end up with it in places where it makes no sense because if you didn't take it there, it's like, well, don't you understand that's best practices? Everyone everyone has captures now. It's, it's corporate policy. Way of the future. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> have you even seen that movie? Uh, the Aviator? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's one All of my right, favorites. Just, I wonder, I mean, I, I've seen it as well, but I it, I think the, the movie is more obscure than uh, than a lot of the other things they reference, even in like the Big Lebowski, but now, now it has mm. come to prominence due to their uh, obsession with it. Yeah, I think that The Aviator, uh, I, I saw it when, it, I didn't see it in theaters. It's another, you know, it's the whole having kids thing where I, I don't see many movies at all in theaters anymore. I'd say, but I did see it when it first, I, I love, big Scorsese fan, and so when it first came out on iTunes, I got it. And I remember being a little disappointed the first time I saw it. I don't know what I expected it to be. I guess I wanted it to be Goodfellas with a billionaire. Uh, and it wasn't. And I was a little disappointed. And then I watched it like a year or so ago and thought, my God, what a remarkable movie. I really, like the second time I watched it a year or two later, two, three years later, I really thought, I, you know, 
this is just fantastic. Love that movie. It grows on you. You know, I don't think I'm uh, obsessive compulsive. I don't have any kind of disorder like that. But I really, it, it, it seems like such an otherworldly. If you don't suffer from it, it's. I think it's hard to imagine it. And I feel like he really kind of. I don't know. I, I. By the second time I watched it, I came out of it thinking somehow there, but for the grace of God, go I. Maybe I am a little closer to that than than comfort. Yeah. So well, right. you know, I think everyone can identify with it a little bit. But right. Some some more than others, let's say. Right. What a great guy that Howard Hughes was. I've I don't know if I've ever seen anything about him that wasn't like fictionalized, like newsreels or interviews or read mm. anything about the actual person. So all I have in my mind is the the fictional Howard Hughes. Yeah, just uh, building airplanes, building casinos, and uh, uh, dating famous actresses, making movies. There's a life. That's I mean, there's the, what more was there to do? Peeing into bottles, wearing tissue boxes on your feet. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't end well. <laughs> That's this is really really this is a cautionary tale about working from home. Exactly. You should be that's why you should be on the watch out for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that is sort of I, 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 that is sort of uh, I think what made it uncomfortable for me. So I installed the uh, David underscore underscore David Smith. How do we say his name? Uh, underscore, under, David underscore David Smith. Smith yes. Um, his uh, uh, pedometer app for the iPhone. The what's it called? Steps. I forget what. Uh, it is. Pedometer plus pedometer plus plus. plus. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know how it got two pluses, but pedometer plus plus. Great app. I think it's a free app, and there's like a you can do like an in-app purchase to give them a couple bucks. Uh, but it just ties into your uh, the motion processor on the iPhone 5s, and it gives you your steps. Uh, I take shockingly few steps on some days and this is this is still before winter you know it's it's actually you know october in philadelphia is actually beautiful it's probably probably my favorite month climate wise in philadelphia it couldn't be more beautiful we haven't had a lot of rain there's zero reason why i shouldn't be getting more steps than at any point in the year and I, I've, you know, I took, here you go, Wednesday, I took 13 steps. <laughs> Don't you have to get coffee in the morning? Don't you go to, like, the Starbucks down the, the street oh, from you so every I morning? Mean, or no, that... I make it at home now. Oh, I, man. You know? like, Amy's got the Fitbit and everything. She should yeah. buy you one, and you could be, like, Fitbit buddies, and then maybe you'd be motivated, because now you just have, like, the 13 steps. is just, <laughs> it's like, did you did you walk really carefully from your bed to the office so those didn't count as steps, like you were shuffling your feet in your bunny slippers? You know? No. I <laughs> took, here's my actual score for Wednesday, October 30th, was three. 3,466 steps. But you're supposed to, and it, it, it gets colored red. Like, so 10,000 is, everybody says, is what you want every day. Uh, I, I got, I only got 3,466 on Wednesday. Yeah, those step trackers there, I, I feel like they should count things differently. Like, cause I, I park in a parking garage, like I usually on the fifth floor by the time I get there. And I run up and down those steps to the fifth floor parking garage. And those should count for more steps than just walking up the steps. Yeah, that's you run up, run up five flights of stairs is very different than walking up five flights of stairs. And yet, same number of steps. Yeah, yeah. Taking steps, going up, up as flight of steps is definitely more. And going down steps is less. I yeah. Because you just, you know, going down steps is really just a controlled fall. They're just trying to get you to move. I mean, it's like if, if it's motivating you to, yeah. you know, get outside more, you can get yourself a dog or something, yeah. you know. Trick or, what, treat, what? trick or treat today, though. I, I got a good one. I got 15,000 steps, so. Yeah, well, there you go. 
don't know. Well, you know, once your son gets tired of you, which will happen, uh, then you get yourself a dog and you'll have something to do in, you know, in your old age. Go out, take the dog out for a walk every day. It makes you get outside. Like, if you're not, you're not a smoker, so you don't have a reason to be outside in the winter, right? right. So you got to get some reason to be out there. Do you, do you track your steps? You don't track your steps. No, I don't use any. I, I think I would. I might be interested in trying it. Like I like the yeah. concept of the, the gameplay type thing, but it's just I've, it's never come up. I don't. I sure as hell don't want to wear anything on my wrist, which is going to be a problem for the iWatch, right? But uh, <laughs> I don't want one of those Fitbit that's attached there. And the ones that clip onto your clothes, like I know, it's just like my laundry machines will eat it. Like it, you know, I'm not I'm not responsible enough to have hundred dollar little you know rubberized. Uh, electronic turds clipped to my clothes because i'll just i'll wash it in the first week and then i'll have to buy another one and it's eventually it's like it's like a tax of like a, you know average of 75 dollars a month for the rest of my life to keep buying new fitbits yeah so. i'm exactly the same i i bought one i bought the uh, it was an indiegogo project or it, it was a kickstarter one of those things it was called the misfit shine uh, you know misfit is the company uh, and it's like a you know uh, uh, a fitbit and it was a little, it's like a little quarter sized disc and it had a couple of ways you could wear it. You could wear it on your wrist. I chose not to. I, I magnet thing and I put it on my pants and I had it for six days before I lost it. Like on the seventh day, I was like, where's that thing? And I have no yeah, idea. It was like foot fell in the toilet somewhere. You know, no just idea. The, yeah. And, and I didn't remember, I couldn't remember the last time I checked it from the day before. I remember I definitely had it the day before and at some point I didn't have it and then it's gone. So the phone is the perfect thing then because the phone is like you're not going to lose track of that because it costs right. so much money and you're using it all the time and it's got the tracker in it and it doesn't kill your battery so you're good to go. Like uh, right. I put that I put uh, underscore David Smith's Panama Plus Plus thing on my wife's iPhone. It doesn't work for her unfortunately because her phone is not allowed in all sorts of places in her work right. for, for security oh, reasons. Yeah, yeah. So it's like she doesn't get benefit she doesn't get the benefit of the steps that are taking place when she doesn't have her phone with her because a lot of times <laughs> it has to be left elsewhere. So. She's her her numbers are low, but she has excuses. And it's like a it's like a, it, it's a secure zone, twelve stories up, and the only way to get there is on a flight of stairs. And just she doesn't. Get you can't you can't bring it. Yeah, you can't bring it with you. You got to stay in stay in the uh, purse in the office. So like the longest hallway in the whole facility, no credit. It's Maxwell smart. You got to go through all those doors. Right. Uh, what else in uh, Mavericks? What's your favorite thing? What's your favorite thing that that they did this year in Mavericks? I said this on ATP that we recorded earlier in the week, and people are going to think I'm crazy or or a total noob, as the kids say. Like, you know, you know the whole thing of back when Mac OS X was slow. After every release of OS X, people no. you know, people in the forums would install it. And, oh, it's so much snappier, no. right? And it's because every time you in install a new version of the OS, like you've quit all your applications, everything's fresh, all like the caches are rebuilt for you. Like, you know, it's all, of course it feels faster. Like you just, I click system preferences and it was like one bounce and it opened right up because nothing else was happening in your machine because you just rebooted and you just reinstalled the OS. Of course it feels snappy, right? Uh, so that, that effect has always been there, right? But I really feel like having installed Mavericks on so many machines that it actually does, it actually does feel snappier, not taking into account that yes, of course, it's going to feel snapper and everything's quit. Like I've been using it for days and days and days, like the you know the release version on my real machines to do real work in actual work, uh, and it feels snappier. And it could all be in my head. I'm totally willing to believe that it's all in my head. But if it's not all in my head, what it's coming from is my computer is doing less useless crap, and and that means it has it's more available to do the stuff that I want it to do. And so, you know, it could just be they, they shortened some animation somewhere. It could, could be anything. Like even like Terminal, for instance. Like when I use Terminal 
and you know type ls or something in a local directory or do something that spits out text it seems like the text appears in the terminal window faster and it's like that can't be possible how could it already appear so lightning fast like it wasn't like i was waiting for little characters it was already so fast why does it feel faster to me so there's some either you know psychological not really there but i think it's there or actual kind of like trickery you know perceived trickery or whatever it just you know, it, maybe it's just because I spent so freaking long writing that review. It just feels it just feels more efficient to me. It just I does. I, th- it, I I think it's subtle, but I think it I think it does feel a little snappier too. And I'm running it mostly on a very old PowerBook, a 2008 MacBook. When I say PowerBook, MacBook Pro, uh, and the the 2010 MacBook Air that I mentioned in my my iPad review. Not new stuff, you know, so there's definitely, and I feel like on both machines, it feels a little snappier. And I think there's got to be room for that snappiness improvement because specifically just comparing the way Mac OS X feels to an iPad, even older iPads. And, you know, it was the, that's just the whole initial appeal of iOS is my God, this, this feels so much more responsive to my input than my computer, even though it's only, you know, a 10th or as 20th, you know, as powerful as a, you know, CPU wise. Yeah, my, my actual favorite, like real feature that is not all in my head uh, is the new version of Safari because I use Safari mm-hmm. as my main browser. Uh, but I, I also run Chrome all day. I always use two browsers and I have certain things I do in Chrome and certain things I do in Safari, but Safari is my default. Uh, and one of the things I always liked about Safari is I felt like when I hit command N to make a new window, which I occasionally do because I don't always use tabs, so I feel like you know they get too crowded to make a new window. It just felt like it was fast. Like it was like a native UI. Everything about it was native. It was fast, right? And Chrome, I, what I liked about it was I felt like when Safari was starting to get hung up, especially Safari 6 but, you know, and the WebKit 2 thing where it would get hung up and you get that dialog box and you had to reload all your windows, which pissed me off to no end. When that happened or when something was slower, when I just saw like the progress bar in Safari just like hang in there, I always knew... I could switch to Chrome, make a new window, and because it was a separate process, no matter what the hell's going on in all my other Chrome tabs and all my other Chrome windows, no matter what the hell Safari's doing being hung, I can get a new Chrome window and it will load the damn thing that I want it to load because it's independent. And so going to process per tab in Safari is like, and, and you know, maybe this is just me. People write in and say, I still get that dialog box that says, you know, things are not responding. It's just not all the tabs in Safari now. It's just a few of them, which I, I suppose could happen, but... I get. I used to get that pages are not responding. Do you want to, you know, you know, visit page or reload all the tabs thing? Get it. Used to get it in the old version of Safari constantly. It was driving me nuts. It was driving me to the point where I was thinking of switching my default browser. And during the whole course of writing the review on a mountain lion system, I kept getting it again and again. It was like taunting me, like saying goodbye to me. And I never once, not once, still haven't, not once gotten it uh, on Mavericks or Safari Seven. I don't. You know, it may happen. Uh, you know, and it maybe when it happens. It still happens and the effect is less, but I just haven't seen it all. And that 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 is a big change in my daily life. Because if you use Safari as your default browser and you get that thing like more than, you know, once every couple of weeks, it really changes when that just goes away and you yeah. don't see that anymore. Yeah, I you it, the story you just told is me exactly. Everything about it. I, Safari is my default browser. Uh I run I've and I've run into that dialogue box all the time. Over the you know the time that 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 Safari's used that that two two process architecture you know where there was one to render the UI and one monolithic process to handle all of the rendering that whole time was it just just one OS release or was it two OS releases was it just Mountain Lion 
I I am so bad at remembering when I, things I, came I out. Too. I think I I think it might have been Lion and Matt Lion. Whatever yeah. WebKit two well, came out. The of. whole time I ran into that so many times, and when it would get bad, that 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 and that reason alone made me think that maybe I should switch to Chrome as my main browser. The only reason, and there's not one other thing about Chrome that I prefer to Safari, except for the fact that Chrome all you know for years has had a you know each tab gets its own rendering process. Yeah, Chrome, I do like other things about Chrome. Like I, I you know I, when I use Google's applications, I use them in Chrome because I think it's a nice marriage between all their crazy yeah. you know stuff that they do to make things fast and everything. But just like it's just Chrome is and again people have different experiences. People email me and say you keep saying Chrome is solid, but it crashes for me all the time. Chrome is so solid for me. Like I, I'm on the beta channel for Chrome. I don't even do the regular releases. I'm on the beta, so every time a new beta comes out, I just get it automatically. And even that, it just I always know if I go to Chrome and make a new window or a new tab, I can load a page. It will never, you know, no matter what's happening. Like they are, their architecture is so good. And maybe Safari is not up to that level yet, but Chrome has always been just rock solid. And yeah, the UI looks weird, and I don't like how it's not native and all this other stuff. But there are things I do like about Chrome. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I, say that there's nothing else I don't like about it, but there's nothing that that tempted me to switch because I'm not a big user of Google Apps. I don't like the stuff that I don't like. I don't like the, the non-standard UI. Um, so the, I'm not saying that I, I can see why other people use Chrome for other reasons, but for me, uh, the main thing that was always drawing me was the the processor architecture. And and more recently, work related, like I've found myself using the uh, the dev tools built into Chrome. I mean, you know, you think, oh, they're both based on WebKit, and they both use like the WebKit debugger, but they've diverged significantly over the years in terms of yeah. what those things look like, and they're they're pretty much feature comparable. It's not like the Safari Web Inspector does has feature lacks features. It's just the way things are arranged. I've just got again with Chrome being so reliable, and you know, when you're debugging a web app, you're doing all sorts of crazy crap and setting breakpoints and putting in bad JavaScript that you're trying to fix and all sorts of things that can very quickly get Safari confused and hosed. And when it's hosed, the whole app, you know, back in the bad old days was hosed. It just, I, I run Chrome and never have to relaunch it. And so I work when I'm doing work related stuff and debugging JavaScript that I could, you know, WebKit related issues or just testing a web app that I'm writing in JavaScript. I do all my debugging in Chrome these days, even though, you know, it's not as nice and pretty as the debugger and, and Safari and Safari debugger has gotten a lot better. I just find myself, you know, even now with Safari 7, I still use uh, Chrome as my debugger. It used to be that I would use Firebug and Firefox back when nobody had good debugging except for Firefox. But so Google, a feature that, you know, most people don't care about. But if you're a web developer, I think Chrome's web development tools have really come a long way and uh, I lean on them every day. I think with Safari breaking the you know breaking it at WebKit into the separate process architecture, and it seems like there's a big political backstory to that. And you mentioned it where where Apple had invited Google to contribute theirs to the WebKit project, and Google declined. Uh, and I also seem to recall reading something about how that it wasn't that great. Anyway, that maybe you know that that it was a lot of work, and what they've wound up with with for WebKit two now with this processor architecture is a lot better than I don't know if it's better than Chrome, but better for WebKit as a project than than Chrome's specific implementation would have been. 
Well, I mean, that's a little bit sour grapes. I don't I think, know. You know, like if you look at what Chrome and proof is in the pudding. Chrome, if you look at the Chrome documents that I linked in the thing, Chrome has the flexibility to do, you know, the, the Chromium open source project that's based on has the flexibility to do all sorts of different arrangements in terms of processes and tabs and stuff like that. At, you know, so it's very flexible. And a lot of that stuff is implemented. It's implemented in the application layer versus being implemented in the engine layer. Whereas when they did it in WebKit, like if, if Google had said, oh, sure, here you go. Like we're, you know, we'll rip this stuff out of our Chromium stuff and we'll integrate it into WebKit and then we'll re then we'll refactor Chrome to no longer do this stuff at the application level, but to use the thing that we put into WebKit. Like I think, you know, Apple sure would have liked that because like, hey, Google has already worked out this process stuff and their stuff is really solid. But, you know, Google was like, no, nope, might have thought that's not the proper place for it. We like the layering or we've picked or whatever. Right. And, you know, it, it just didn't work out. So the Apple had to do something. And what it did was say, well, we'll put it in the engine. Uh, we'll make it an engine level feature because uh, we think that's the right place for it or whatever. And I don't think there's anything, you know, it's a difference in philosophy, a difference in design. There's nothing about Apple's approach that said it was necessarily going to be better or worse. It's just it had bugs like that's not, you know, it's not working right when things get wedged like that. Why did it have bugs? Did it have bugs because it's more difficult to make 15 different processes or, you know, to make one process communicate with another than to have a one to one link? You know, having all your tabs communicating with your one web backend versus having you know, process per tab where, fine, if one tab goes off the rails, it doesn't affect anything else. Uh, I don't know. All I know is that re the result was that Chrome was kicking Safari's butt in terms of stability and yeah. something had to be done. And just and, in know, terms of what, you know, what is it like to use it, you know, just put the anything you can quantify aside, you know, put the stopwatch down, just use it. It just felt responsive. And you, like you said, you can always hit command T or command N to get a new tab at any time. Whereas in Safari, sometimes you end up with the spinner. Yeah. It's like difference between cl classic Mac OS and, and, you know, Mac OS 10 with like preemptive multitasking versus cooperative. Whereas on, in the old classic Mac days, you could anger an application to a degree that it would prevent you from doing something else where right. in OS 10, no matter how screwed some application is, you can always click over to your Twitter client. Like I do this right. frequently when I like I beach ball an application. I just go over to another application. That other application is not beach ball. It's still pulling events off the queue. Like you know, that's we take that for granted with a modern OS that you know the processes are independent. That's the job of the OS to keep them independent. Uh, web browsers, even though it's one application, you know, logically speaking, you think of it as like, well, that may be one application, but. I have a bazillion tabs open. I want to see this tab. I don't care if that tab is hung with some stupid flash thing that's dying, right? Yeah. And so that architecture, like the web browser, it's such an important application that it becomes a microcosm of the OS itself. It's like, you know, another level of hierarchy. And within this application, those tabs better be independent of each other, just like processes are independent of each other in the OS. So you make the tabs a process and it's, it, it's natural and it makes sense. Like the other approach could have worked. If it worked fine, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but it didn't. So, you know, thumbs up on changing it. I, I, I was under the impression, and I might be, again, I could be wrong on this, but I was under the impression that maybe, I can't remember if somebody told me this or not. I, I'm getting, my memory is really starting to, I'm losing it, John. But uh, I seem to recall some discussion with somebody. It seems like something maybe at WWDC, but the, the gist of it was that they Apple's Safari team never really thought that that monolithic rendering process that handles all of your tabs was the the right decision it was what they it, it was just a matter of time that they wanted to break rendering into a separate process for security reasons yeah, security reasons yeah only and it was really about security and and having all the plugins you know in a you know sandboxed rendering process and that they could get that done in time for lion and mountain lion but that the work that we now see to get 
you know, each tab in its own rendering process, you know, it was going to take this long anyway. So was it better or worse in the interim to have it split into that monolithic one? I almost think it was worse that they would have been better security, damn the security implications. It would have been better to stick with the old Safari architecture, you know, where it wasn't a separate process. Yeah, well, I mean, they took the lesson of Windows XP, you know, to heart and said, like, the web, it's so dangerous to have something, that, you know, because it wasn't just, like, sandboxing plugins is one thing. The second thing was, like, sandboxing JavaScript execution. So that if someone found that exploit where they could put JavaScript code on a web page that would, uh, you know, cause a buffer overflow in your JavaScript engine and cause arbitrary code execution, that now all of a sudden you had a web page that could, like, take out people's Macs or right. steal information from them and do stuff like that. And that's so incredible, especially in the days before, like, that you know the the big push to like you know send everybody updates constantly uh, have you know the you know updates being shoved in people's faces so you had a chance of upgrading everybody like it was still you know coming off of the days where like oh god if suddenly there was a you know an exploit out there that that we didn't find out about until it, it started infecting people's computers and it's in a web browser and everybody's using it and it's going all over the web we're screwed so I understand the priority of like we got to get JavaScript execution you know any place any executable code that you wrote from another page runs it needs to be running someplace where it has no privileges so put it in that right. separate process where it can't do anything and yet it's same thing with plugins get them in a sandbox uh because the down i mean i guess the calculus was if we get if something like that happens max would get a reputation for being bad and unsafe and our browser is insecure and stuff like that uh and you know just get it done and Hope, I guess they were hoping it would work out, but stability-wise, it didn't. But it's right. still, still probably better than the alternative because the you know Safari being flaky and occasionally getting that dialogue like you know once a week or so if you're lucky or unlucky does not make the evening news, so right. to speak. You know, met metaphorically speaking, because no one watches the evening news anymore. anymore. Right, but um, but if it was a security thing, it would. a web page that takes over your computer makes the news. Yeah, it's it's Windows XP all over again. Like it was a PR disaster for Microsoft. It's like the worst thing that could happen to you. You get once you get that reputation, it's hard to shake it. So they probably made the right call, but you know, like like so many things in <laughs> like so many things in people's lives, like how would our lives have been better if mommy and daddy stayed together? How would our lives be different if Google and Apple, you know, had had div divided up the labors of of inventing the future with Google doing the server side and Apple doing the client side and had not split up the way they did and you know this is just another another uh artifact of that divorce that their interests were not aligned when it came to you know google made chrome because it totally aligned with its interest uh built it on webkit which aligned with apple's interest but it eventually their interests diverged yep. enough that now they're doing blink and apple's left with webkit and they couldn't agree on the process thing and like it's just it's all fallout from from that split in the mail today i just got an advanced copy of uh dog fight which is Fred Vogelstein's new book. Uh, I think it comes out this week. He's the guy who wrote that story that was in the, or it was actually an excerpt from the book that was in the New York Times a few weeks ago where he talked to the engineer. He got like a, a former Apple engineer to go on the record and talk about the launch of the original iPhone. Remember that story? It was great. It's, it's an Instapaper. I haven't read it yet, though. Uh, so it's that was an excerpt from this book. And the gist of the book is just specifically uh, how, you know, the Apple, Apple and Google's fight over you know ios and android and you know starting i think you know probably i don't know i haven't read the book yet but probably starting like 2005 2006 when they were still saw it as like you said splitting it up with google doing the services and apple doing the devices and how they got from there to here where they kind of hate each other so i'm looking forward to it i don't read a lot of 
books like that, but this one I'm uh, and especially based on the excerpt, which I thought was really dynamite. Yeah, but nerds like us are so desperate for any real firsthand accounts from inside, and you know, yeah. it's kind of like you just get it from like. It seems like you're not going to get it. You're not going to get the Phil Schiller tell-all, at least not until he's like 85 or whatever. But right. you'll get like some random dude who you never heard of, but you're like so hungry for any scrap of information about like, oh, he was there. And, you know, and you, and the worst thing about that is you never know, like that guy could have an agenda and could giving you a, could be giving you a skewed view of things, but you'll never know because he's the only person talking at all. So that's right. what we got to go on. And we just, we just want to know. We want to know what happened. It's our version of like People Magazine. Yeah, and it is. There's sort of like a pr- prisoner's dilemma aspect to it. Where it it makes sense if everybody just keeps their mouth shut, but if one guy speaks up, he's going to put the story out there in his best light, and so it kind of makes sense for everybody to talk, and it makes that's what makes it so surprising that Apple has maintained not the secrecy while you're working on stuff. I mean, that's not that hard, but even the fact that you know five, six, seven, eight years later, people don't talk about Apple stuff is kind well, of impressive. Well, we get like the the book that would appeal to to me and maybe to other Apple nerds like you and everything would be because we get this like ambiently where people will come off of come out of Apple and many years will pass and they'll tell you like more or less benign stories about uh you know what was that guy uh, who had like the writer's block website who was you know worked on IDVD back in the day what's that guy's name Oh, uh, I forget but I know yeah, who you but, mean but but yeah like he but it's so far removed now and he's just gonna tell some like. You know, it's not gossip, but reasonably pleasant stories about like what it was like trying to deal with the IDVD intro, and even like you know Don Melton telling stories about you know they're not they're not the type of thing that makes for sensational excerpts from books, but the accumulation of all those stories that you that either people publish or you hear at WWDC, like they're not sensational in themselves, but you start to form a picture from just from the, from the fringes from each little person's anecdotes like this little story and that little story and that little story and you start to get sort of like we have this outsider perspective where we know nothing and now like now the shape is dimly visible underneath the black cloth like just from the accumulation of these nice stories from like friendly people at right. WWC or people plus and and it's so many years removed like at this point like do people remember what IDVD was do you remember like the right. slot loading IMAX no one cares about that you know so they feel safe in in talking about that uh and it's not you know if someone just like if we can't get the big names to ever talk, someone just collected up all the little names yeah. twenty years away. You could make a nice sort of anthology. Isn't the IDV story, IDVD story, another one of those like thirty second meetings with Steve Jobs? Like, isn't the story like where they had like this? They they had all these complex mock ups of different ways to do the design, and they were going to present these all these mock ups to Steve Jobs. And he came in, went to the whiteboard, drew a rectangle, and said, "Here's our interface." You drag video here, and then there's a button at the bottom. It says rip, and then he like walked. He just left. He goes, that's yeah. it. Yeah, there's something along those lines. And the, the other part of the story was like what it was like to be behind the scenes and responsible for making one of Steve's like old-style Macworld demos, you know, like right. you know, pre-OS 10, pre-iPhone, pre-everything, to make one of those demos go off without a hitch and everything that you know goes on behind the scenes. What was There was a recent story about that. From some piece of software, what was that? It was on a podcast recently, maybe. Uh, I don't know. What was there was some piece of software, and they were like uh, paranoid that it, that it wasn't going to work, and they were drink. It was from your podcast. They were drinking in the audience. No, that's the that's the Fred Vogelstein story from the engineer oh, they, at the at the original iPhone demo. Yeah, you must have talked about it on yeah. the talk show. No, and yeah, they, they had a, a flask of scotch that they were passing. And yeah, because it was like the odds of it getting through that the, the demo perfectly. And, you know, and that's that's who you're going to hear from, the guy who's like, you know, his name's not on the marquee. Right. He's not he's not on the, the PR bios page. 
Uh, but he's the poor guy who's in charge of what, of the particular application that Steve is demoing, and it damn well better work. And each time one of the guys, like, you know, the second or third row Apple guys, you know, the, the engineers who'd been invited, each time your thing, the thing you had worked on, like if you worked on, you know, mail, and when he got through the ma- iPhone mail demo and it didn't crash, then you would just quick take the flask and be like, thank God almighty, I've, you know. I made it past my part. My mine wasn't the thing that that blew up on stage. Yeah, I, I, but I would like to hear from like get down to the level of like the you know the stage. I don't know what you call the people. Like, the, the, remember when he used to like have things raise out of the stage? Everything yeah, always had to come up on like an elevator and stuff. If those things ever got stuck, they would be held to pay. So you know, some guys practicing bringing that thing up and down twenty times, making sure the little cloth doesn't fall off when it goes up and down, all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, <laughs> I remember somebody told me once that, and I'm sure they still do it because why would they stop? But uh, that after the final rehearsal, which I and again I don't I don't know if this is true. This is one of those things where who knows? But I've always heard that they do one the morning of the events. That there's like a same you know they rehearse the day before all day till late at night, and then the morning they do a rehearsal. I don't know if that's true or not. But that after the last rehearsal, a white glove team comes out and wipes everything down the desks that the you know like the demo max are on the demo max you know uh everything everything gets wiped down with white gloves to factory fresh perfect that status uh the reason why just because <laughs> even just hearing that story makes me nervous that the guys wiping stuff down are gonna like bump a cable loose right and screw up like we did the run through everything went perfectly what the hell happened well the cleaning crew one guy you know pulled right. out a little pulled out one pin of the dock connector slightly and now everything's all screwed up yeah i imagine those guys are like you know like csi crime lab intricate you know delicate you know that they're yeah they're gonna get every fingerprint off the glass but they are like using the least minimum pressure necessary to do it i gotta do a third sponsor read and i have a few other questions bef- uh mavericks for you I want to tell you about Igloo, longtime sponsors of the show. Great, great service. Um, If you don't remember what they are, they give you an intranet that you'll actually like. You can share content quickly uh, with the built-in apps for the intranet. They have blogs, calendars, file sharing, forums, uh, Twitter-like microblogs, wikis. Like, Just think about what it would be like to have your own little private Twitter for your intranet, for your company, your team. Uh, that you know is private because it's on your own internet. You don't have to, you know, do anything silly like actually use Twitter, but make up fake names or you know try to have your own. Even if it's not confidential, just to sort of communicate privately, uh, you have your own little thing. Be perfect. Uh, the whole thing is social. You can comment on any type of content. Uh, you can at mention your coworkers just like on Twitter. All of it private to your own team. You can uh, follow content so you can get updates. Uh, they have tags to group things uh, around the way you work. So you can use the same tag on a blog entry as on an event on the calendar, and you can group them together by that tag. It's easy. The whole thing is drag and drop to configure, to style. They have responsive designs that uh Look great on every device from your phone to a 27-inch display. They have fonts from Typekit. I mean, that's probably one of the best uh, type libraries there is in the world. Here's the thing that's amazing. It is free to use. Igloo is free for up to 10 people. Uh, And when your Igloo grows, it only costs $12 a person for each month. 
Go to igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Igloosoftware.com, the talk show. And you can find out more. So they mentioned tags in the igloo thing. So tags are a new feature in uh, in Mavericks. And I had no idea. This is something I just did, I, I just wasn't paying attention until I read your review that they really are sort of piggybacked on the old labels. <coughs> the labels feature that goes all the way back to System 7. Yeah, that was like there has been this feature where you could apply a color with an associated word to a file forever for for ages. I mean, that makes you feel old when you talk to someone who thinks, "What are the?" I think I heard someone say on a podcast or read somewhere, like, "I think they added those in Jaguar." It's like, oh, man. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, like there already is a feature that does that, and so it it is very on Apple like despite what people think about them, like breaking with the past and doing these clean breaks in terms of software compatibility, if there's already a feature that does that and they already carried it across OS boundaries, bringing it from classic into OS X, like they brought it forward, you're going to make a new feature that gives you a new way to apply multiple colors and words to files. Not making it backward compatible in some way would just would just be weird and just not... like Because people, some people use, some people don't use labels at all, fine. But other people use them, like they put everything, like the red ones are the ones I got to work on next week, and I know when I change it, it'll be blue. Like, they use them as an alternate way, you know, instead of arranging things in folders. And if you made this new system that was completely independent of that, uh, it would not go over well. It would be like, well, now what do I use? I use labels or use tags? Do I got to go back to all my files that are labeled and, like, tag them with the same color as the labels? So it just makes sense from a user-friendliness and from sort of an Apple philosophy of backward compatibility, especially for a feature that has lasted this long, to say, all right, we'll build on it. It will be a superset. We can't, you know, we can't totally make it because you can only have one label, but whatever the most recent tag you put will be the label. And, uh, and as I explained in the review, the implementation details that I go into explain why why it works this way why are there only seven labels why right. are the names you know and uh, the names independent of the colors why could i get into these weird scenarios when i copy it from one disk to the other what happens if i change the name of a label that a million files are labeled with like why everything do you, why do you not get to pick your own colors you get to yeah. you get to pick any of these seven colors but you can't make your own mob yeah There's although no- they could they could do that like they used used to be able to yeah. change the colors but like it's just you see what it is it's a number one through six zero right. means no label one through six is is you know your your things that you get to pick from and it, once you understand the implementation then you're like oh i see how the behavior falls out of the implementation and why do they use that implementation well because that allows it to be backward compatible with the existing labels and why are they using labels use this crazy ass implementation because they're from like 1988 that's why so it all it all connects back and it's all it gives an explanation of the feature that it would be difficult to understand what the hell's going on without knowing these internal details because otherwise it might seem like a either poorly implemented feature or nonsensical or why does it work this way or it seems silly but there there are reasons for it and it it i guess the other way that it looks if you don't know the story behind it what makes it seem weird are the default tags which are you know color names red blue yellow like it just seems like an odd batch of defaults well remember you remember what the old defaults were hot essential yeah yeah right like i threw one of the i threw a couple of in there i think i threw an essential in there or whatever like they were so weird like i would love to be in the meeting like we're gonna have default names for the labels and what should we call i just remember hot and essential yeah no exactly what's it what's the difference we should go look that up right now let me you should dude I, I i do forget that um Again, the other thing, too, with this new implementation, and tags to me are way more interesting. I haven't used labels in years. Uh, I anticipate using tags quite a bit, 
But I don't think I think they've built this on top of labels. And if if on the converse, you're the type of person who used labels and you want to keep using labels and you don't really want to use tags per se, you just want to use the labels you always used. It doesn't really set you back any. I mean, I yeah. think a little bit in terms of the only thing I could think of is if you really want to just use it the way you always used it and you don't like the new the new way, you have to unlabel before you relabel to get rid of, you know. To, yeah, because otherwise you'll be adding. Yeah, so, otherwise you're just adding. So you have so, one, so extra, old, one extra click to take off the old label when you want to change it from hot to essential. Yeah, and the, and the little words, the little tooltip hovery thing's trying to tell you what's going on, like add, label this. It will make right. it clear that what you're going to do is what you thought. So here, here are the old labels. Essential, hot, in progress, cool, personal, project one, project two. <laughs> what the hell is there between hot and cool, essential? Essential, hot, and cool. Like, they could all mean the same thing. Essential was orange, hot was red, in progress, purple. Cool is like an ice blue. Personal was, you know, navy blue. Project one, green, and project two, brown. This is all based on my... Like, what did they even mean by hot? Like, hot, like, you know, like, the boss is... The boss is... Wants this now. This is hot-ish, you know, or is it, like, hot, like, you know, sexy, you know? Yeah, and the the thing is, if if you go to control panels, labels, like, I'm running System 7 in the simulator to look this up, but you could change the names of them. And you can change the colors too. You click on the color, you can make them any color you want. And it's like, what the hell do they care? And like, you could drive yourself crazy because if you decide to change label number one to be important and you make it red and you copy that file to your friend's uh, Mac, this is back <laughs> in the system seven days, and their label number one is purple and it's like called trash, then suddenly your file comes over and it's like, oh, find the file with the red label, but it's not red on my machine. Like, it, the, all these problems always existed in terms of who has the central index of what color and what label and what word and, and all this other stuff. You know, all they had was you know, three bits inside a field inside <laughs> HFS plus and then a mapping of those, a local mapping of those to words. And now they kind of have the same thing, but they also have this, this, you know, binary property list XML thing that contains the list of labels. And what do they put in the list? A word and a number separated by a new line for some crazy ass reason. Yeah, I saw that too. That was weird. That is really weird. I cannot. I, I sat there, and that was one of those things because you know uh, that's like the exact sort of like programming task that I can fully comprehend. I understand an XML file. I couldn't, and you said like I can't think of a reason why they would do this. And I said, so I thought, all right, well, there's a puzzle. Let's think about this. There's got to be a good reason. And I sat there for like ten minutes, and I cannot, I cannot think of why it's not a separate string and integer. You know, it could be like cutting the ends off the roast, where it's just like, you know, it's something that, that or not even like that. It's more, more like it's when you're when you're writing a project and like, oh, I got to add this thing quickly and I'll change it later. And you don't. And it just ends up shipping that way. It just. Yeah. Like, I mean, it. not that you're going to want to have new lines in your label name. Like, right. that's not. But it's just it's right there in front of you. Like you you have a way to store the number and the name like it's, it's sitting there. You're in a property list. Right. And. They go with the new line. I've it, never, and it just sticks out when you're looking at an XML file, and you're just used to everything, you know, being yeah. tagged, and then so, all, of a, all of a sudden you see something new line separated, like it's yeah, it looks old... it looks all ugly in the dump. But so here's a theory I can think of is that it might have to do with spotlight indexing, like maybe you know the text parser that parses out, you know, because they want to spotlight index all these labels, but they don't want to have separate, you know, extended attributes. They want to have one extended attribute, I guess, that you can pull in the, you know, because it's like. You know, underscore KMD label, the tag name. You know, they have those K constants that apply in Spotlight. You know what those mean to do the advanced searches, 
right? Every, every, every one of those has a constant. It looks like a constant from the classic Mac days with a leading lowercase k. That And if you were going to write a query, a spotlight query, you could say where essentially file name is, contains this and date modified is this. And each one of those things, file name, date modified, label, has a single symbolic name that corresponds to where the thing is. So all of the tags are in a single one of those. That's why they're all in one big property list instead of having separate extended attributes. So you can do where one of the labels is hot. And one of the labels is like KMD label whatever thing. It will pull that whole property list out, and maybe it's pulling that property list out and parsing it as pulling out the you know the the, the text parts and parsing it as like free text as if it was like number new line re- name new line. And they couldn't use spaces because then if the names probably yeah. could have spaces, but they use new lines. Like I'm just making stuff up here, but like there are semi reasonable reasons why they wanted to leverage the existing architecture for simply indexing text content of files. And it makes it easier if they have them this way, but it sure as hell looks weird. And it's one of those decisions. It's like, well, once you've done that, you are creating tons and tons of files with extended attributes filled with this exact property list. And so you're forever doomed to have to support that weird format and backward compatibility. You know, my thought, my only thought was that it was just some lazy programmer who one day, like you said, maybe he thought he'd get back to it and fix it, but that, you know, it was just easier to just, he's got the two values. It was easier to just concatenate the two strings together and separate it with a new line because think in your head, will there ever be a new line in the actual name? No, it probably, I'm almost certain it guards against it. Even if you pasted in text that had a new line as the tag name. It, it almost certainly, I'll bet, strips that. So you're never going to get an actual new line there. So you can do it, and it was easier, you know. Like it, to- it, or it could have been the names weren't in there originally. Originally, it was just right. the numbers, right? And then they said, oh, we need to put the names in there, too, because we're not going to have, you know, the, the problem I just described where right. one person names it one thing. We've got to put the names in there, too. All right, we'll just throw it in with a new line right. in the thing, and I can parse it. Who it's knows? Weird it, decision. Talk about things you're not going to see a book written about in the future, right. but, you know, Here, find that guy. Here's the here's the thing you didn't mention that jumped out at me about tags right in the keynote at WWDC is why are they adding tags to files now? And to me, I think it's clearly driven by iCloud and the sandbox because now, only now with tags – can you easily group related documents together, even if they're all from iCloud sandbox apps? So you could take a text edit app or a file and uh, thinking of other sandbox apps, preview and, you know, and give them the same tag. And now in the finder, they show up in the same tag sidebar location. Yeah, even if you go further than that, I would say, you know, the whole fact that you can have documents in the cloud, but you only get one level of folders. Now, finally, you can have multiple le- multiple levels of hierarchy. You don't get to call them folders. You get to right. call them labels. But now you can you, you can slice and dice things in a better because if you are trying to keep all your documents like with the documents in the cloud and using applications that do that, just having one level of folders eventually starts to get crazy. So now tags give you one more organizational tool. And yes, of course, also across applications. But the thing about the cross application things is that the only tool that can that can cross cut that thing is the finder. Like right. within within the individual like iOS or Mac sandbox the iCloud documents and cloud applications, you can't ask them to show you anything. It's only the finder and like you know the 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 finder itself and an open save dialog box that's not looking at iCloud documents but is looking at your disk. Those are the only things where you can say show me all the things from, you know, 
the Jones project and it will find them across all the applications. And even on the Mac, I think it might try to hide them because they're in the iCloud container things. But if you're sufficiently resourceful and maybe it exposes them, do you know if it exposes that? Like, you know where the documents really are in your yeah. Mac when they're in the thing? Yeah. So, so the, what you can do is you go to a you go in a sidebar to the tags and you click a tag that has uh, some files to it. And then you can go, it'll show you those files and then you can control look. click on it and say, show an enclosing folder. And it's the crazy iCloud document container somewhere under your library folder, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, so for example, uh, text edit documents are users group or library slash mobile documents slash com tilde apple tilde text edit slash documents. I don't know why they use tildes there instead of dots. That, that doesn't make any sense. But all the apps are like that in the library slash mobile documents folder. That's where your iCloud sandboxes are. But you can get there very easily through the finder just by going to the tag um, collection in the sidebar and then uh, control clicking and say show in enclosing folder. Yeah, or, or you just show the like there's the thing that lets you see the, the bottom bar on a finder window that shows you the path with the little folders with arrows between them. Yeah. yeah. Does it show you that, that too? I don't know. Yeah, there's a way to get it to display. Yeah. Show show the path, view path or whatever. But uh, yeah, the, it's it's they haven't solved that problem of the siloed documents and tags. Like tags give you one more tool, but it makes it. I think it makes it all the more apparent. That, like you're in these little islands when you're in the application, only the finder can see them all. And then there's no equivalent of the finder on iOS where you could see yeah. all the various pieces across all. They, they still have to figure out what they're going to do there. But the tags is like it was sitting there. Like they spent so many years building up to this and they implemented extended attributes and use them so extensively and all the other features. And it's like, once you've got extended attributes, like that's the first thing everybody else, all the third parties did with them. You remember all the tagging apps that are out there. I've had tons of them over the years. So they would be like, we don't need to implement this It's part of the OS. You can attach arbitrary data to any file. All we need is an application that can create the data and interpret it. So tons of sort of finder like organization applications would say, here you go, use our application and you can apply tags to your files and organize your stuff according to them and you know tags have advantages over folders because a file can only be in one folder according to our rules the way we do things but you can apply multiple tags it's kind of the difference between gmail and you know apple mail and why they yeah. don't get along in terms of you know tag you know so it was right there for them to do it's kind of like tabs in the finder it's right there like tabs and the tabs are on the browsers apple knows how to make tabs why are there no tabs in the finder browser Especially, like, uh, you know, and we, again, we could do a whole three-hour show just on the Finder, but uh, especially with the the fact that the OS X Finder is naturally a browser, not a, you know, it, it worked. That's just how it clearly is meant to work, not well, the old spatial thing. It's but, kind of half-heartedly a browser, but it's like, yeah, if you're going to do right. a browser... We right. know that tabs are useful in browsers, and they just like it's like you didn't get around to it. So they got around to tabs. They got around to tags. Tabs still aren't a standard Cocoa thing, though, are they? Like, there's no way. Like, even though it seems like it's using the same tabs as Safari and uh, Terminal, like, but actually, Terminal uses totally different tabs still. Even on uh, if you didn't, you know, just the look and feel of the tabs. Well, yeah, I, I, they never standardized it. I mean, remember Toppy Tabs? Yeah, Toppy Tabs. Safari, Safari, yeah. Safari 4, briefly. Right, right. Like, like you know, there's tabs across all applications. Apple's kind of decided that they're, like, vaguely, they're not metallic. They used to be rush metal, but, like, they're they're dark gray, and they come down, and they have little rounded corners, and this little plus sign to make new ones. Uh, 
but it's it's probably not a standard control because no, it's definitely not a like, standard control. Because well, I mean, it's I wonder if Apple shares the code like between their three Apple. Well, games. here's one thing I noticed is you pointed out that that the new Safari in um, Mavericks has a feature that that it seems to have learned from Chrome, where as you're closing tabs, it won't change the width of the remaining tabs until you're done closing them, which enables you to sit there and just click, click, click without moving the mouse. But the finder tabs don't do that. The finder tabs act like it's like they copied the old implementation from Safari, where each time you close a tab, the remaining tabs resize yeah. to fit the width. So it's... If they're sharing code, they shared the code from the old Safari, not yeah, the and, new one. And even in and even in Safari, it only does that until all the tabs to your right are gone, and then it says, "Oh, it's safe for me to resize." Right, because you can't, you don't get the benefit of the click, 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 click. Right. Whereas at Chrome, Chrome, because uh, partially due to the fact that Chrome's closed box is on the on the right edge of the tab, right. it will even when you have no more tabs remaining on your right side, it will still not resize the tab. So you can you can click it you can click it again and close the tab that you were over to begin with, and then it will slide the other tabs that are now to your left, and it will put the closed box. Like Chrome's implementation is still better. Like they had more time to work this out, so Apple copied it. And I'm not. I can't think of a reason why they wouldn't have copied that thing, except for the fact that their closed boxes are on the wrong size, and it may be more awkward. Like Chrome will totally try to put a closed box under your cursor for as long as it possibly reasonably can. Whereas Safari, after you've closed all the tabs to your right, it, it gives up trying to put a closed box under your cursor, which is a minor thing in the grand scheme of things because you know people use Command W or whatever. But uh, it's it's a neat feature of Chrome that they they were wise to copy, even if they copied it kind of you know. Not oh, entirely. I never noticed that before. I just I just played with that. So I see what you mean. It there's two different resizings of the tabs in Chrome. There's one when you have closed finished closing all the rightmost tabs. Then it's an intermediate one where it'll resize the leftmost ones just to put the the next one's close box under your mouse. And then when you're done completely and move the mouse away, it'll resize to fill this fill the window. Yeah, and, and by the way, the same feature is in Safari six one on Mountain Lion. Like the lot of, six one is kind of like the Safari seven for Mountain Lion users. Right. Like a, a lot of these things, even like the power saver thing that doesn't run the, the uh, you know the flash stuff and the plugins and everything came back, which is nice. Like they don't usually they don't always do that. You don't always like oh well you're running Mountain Lion, you're not going to get the cool new features. They basically gave everyone running Mountain Lion. You know, seventy-five percent of, of Safari Seven, yeah. uh, including these nice little UI things. I always complain. One of the things I complain about in Chrome is the fact that the closed boxes are on the right side of the tabs, because yeah. I feel like because on the Mac, I know this is like a Windows Mac thing, but on the Mac, close has always been left. And to me, a tab is close enough to being like its own little docked window that it should, you know, a tab should be like a window, and the close should be in the left. And I've had people argue with me that. With the close on the left, then you couldn't get this tap 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 to close tabs. But that that doesn't you know it, it's harder. Like because you can see, watch when Chrome starts resizing the ones to right. your left. It's easier for easier for it to put the next close box under your thing. It doesn't have right. to slide everything way over. Like it's a little bit easier for it to work out. There. Right, but it's you know that's not a good reason to put the close on the right. Yeah, I I, don't, I mean I use Chrome so much I don't mind it too much. The thing that bothers me about Chrome is the, the giant fave icons and the. Yeah, I, little, so I do. I I'm hoping. I've been hoping for years. It's one of my little like annual things that I hope to see at WWDC. But I keep waiting for AppKit to get standard 
just, you know, tabs. And I feel like the tabs that they, they should take are safaris. I think safaris are the best. They're better than the finders and they're way better than the ones in uh, terminal. Terminal ones are just a little weird. Yeah. I mean, I've, I just feel like the trend is away from tabs, even though we're all can't live without them and they're adding them back to things on the Mac. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess the, I mean, they added tabs to, to Safari and iOS. Right. You know, and they made the, the crazy new updated version of the tabs where the progress bar is a little blue line in the bottom of the tab, you know, yeah. in iOS 7. Like, they're, they're, they're still experimenting. It seems like they're still in the experimental phase with tabs because, yeah, they, I don't know. Like, they're a weird mix. Uh, so many features that, that we like to use are not used by regular people using their Macs, but tabs are pretty universal. Like, no matter how novice you are, once you see how tabs work, people, and maybe it's because there's a relation to paper tabs that used to exist way back in the day, like, they get it. They use them, and it, it, it's not it's not like a power user feature. Right. It's, like, super advanced. People use tabs. I mean, everybody uses tabs. Yeah. And so even though they make things much more complicated and they make us lose track of where the hell things are, and in the worst right. case, they make us not know where the hell that sound is coming from because it's coming from one of the freaking tabs that you can't find. Uh, they get used. Am I mis? Am I misremembering this from the last time I tinkered with it? But I think Chromebooks are just tabbed. I don't even think they have Windows. I think everything is. I think it's you know the whole metaphor in Chromebook, the Chromebook OS, Chrome OS is tabs. But if I've not, seen, if not, it's clearly how they intend people to use it. If you can have multiple windows, most of the time you're just opening tabs. Yeah, I've seen a Chromebook once in real life, and I just realized I don't think I ever used the software. I think yeah. it just played with the hardware because it was that Chromebook Pixel. Yeah. Um, I know it's the show's already been long, and I, we could go forever on this. But quickly, what do you what do you think? Do you think that that the next version of Mac OS X is going to get a iOS seven? Not not that it would look like iOS seven, but iOS seven esque or sized visual refresh. I I think it's probably due for one, if not in this release, then the next one. Uh, what it needs more than a, a radical refresh of the look is they've got they got to finish the job that they started with, like you know, de iOS sixing everything. Right, because yeah. they they just scrape stuff off of the application. They need to look go back to those applications. If you really care about these applications, like give each give each of those built in apps a thorough redesign, right? And as part of that process, maybe you come up with some new UI ideas for for the whole OS. But a, a lot about a lot about OS ten again, because it's an older OS and it's gone through more changes. We're out of the the sort of iOS six. Uh, level awkward phase like we did that with brush metal and pinstripes and teal things and lozenges and you know we we did that in the drawers and everything and we came out the other side in leopard with the unified single window appearance which doesn't still doesn't look bad like it's you know it looks good and everything like we had that time where where it was like have a, a, a you know an original idea and take that idea to its logical conclusion, like they did with iOS 6, and say, okay, now it's time for a new idea. And that reset was around 10.5. So I don't know if we're due for, oh, you got to change how the menu bar works. you got to change how all those standard window title bars look because the old one doesn't look good anymore. Like, it's fine, right? It could be tweaked in a subtle way. But what they do need to do is rethink all the applications that have been through this terrible trauma of being made to look exactly like their iOS 6 counterparts and have not fully recovered for it, and finish the job of, you know, address game center and all the other things that still look like you know they used to before and and make those applications better like they they give so much attention to safari because i pointed in the review it's such an important application like the web browser right but they continue to ship you know 
mail and uh, reminders and notes. And those applications are not best of breed, right? They don't show Apple in a great light. And especially even like with the the whole thing with mail not working well with Gmail because of the various changes there. Like they're they're trying to make it better, but they screwed it up. And you know, I, I don't know anyone who's ever used mail with. I would never use mail with Gmail. Like I have no experience in any past versions. Current past future is just a bad idea because they're not. They don't get along. Yeah, uh, I, d- I do, and it's it's only I don't. I think it's almost because I'm uh, uh, nerdy enough and mail email nerdy enough that I t- I understand the way that they don't match up metaphorically, and so because I understand it, I. I purposefully work around it like so i don't i know just and i think this is one of the things that people are running into with the mavericks mail where it's like you if you've turned off the all mail folder to the imap interface interface in gmail as everybody who i know who uses gmail through imap has done so you don't get two of every email when you search for them um then when you hit the archive button things just disappear and reappear in your inbox and stuff. So I just never hit mail's archive. I don't archive in mail. I have like but, a, but there's new bugs in Mavericks where like even if you follow the best practices and either follow yeah. Google's guidelines or the old ones or Apple's with the new ones, you'll get into a situation where you'll receive new mail and it will not appear even in your inbox on the Mac, but it will appear in the web UI. Regardless right. of whether you have all mail off like the old way or all yeah. mail on like the new way. Like it's just it's just full of bugs and stuff. Like it, that stuff reflects badly on Apple and makes the Mac look bad, and so it needs to be addressed. And in the process of addressing those, you can have some new ideas about UI, and it could you can kind of use it. Remember, like iTunes used to be like a leading indicator where they might possibly be thinking yep. about going in terms of UI. And yep. It never really was. Like we never got the iTunes Seven scroll bars. The scroll bars we got in what was it, Line or whatever, they turned into the little thin uh, graphite sort of uh, lozenges. Yeah, those didn't look like the iTunes one, but iTunes was like, let's think about some things that we can do there, right? So. I think the applications are a place to experiment like that. And uh, the OS is due for, I mean, you know, 10.5 was the big, you know, we ran up to 10.5 and did a reset, and now we're going to run up to 10.10 and do a reset. It's kind of about that time, and it could totally use with one, but I think it's more important. I would be perfectly fine if they just really gave the application some attention and then just put a, a nice a nice subtle revision of all the UI of just looking a little bit different, because that's enough. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing, no equivalent in... Uh, the current version of OS X that is equivalent to all of the skeuomorphic stuff that was in iOS 6. It's not gaudy and embarrassing. You know what I mean? Just look at a title bar of a standard Mac window. Right. You know, maybe the little lozenges look a little bit dated, but we're not looking at, you know, wood and felt and linen here. I've been wondering if um, if Lucida Grand, Grandy, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Lucida Grand is... is grande, is, like when you order from Starbucks? Yeah, Grande. Uh, is gonna go was gonna be you know shown the door once you know the mac is a mostly retina platform which i still don't think think it's gonna be a while before it's mac is mostly retina devices because i just don't think it looks that good as as a real font i think it was a nice choice as a screen font and it went rendered well on non-retina screens better than most fonts do but you know, there's a reason. Like I've said before on the show, there's a reason why you don't see people using Lucida Grande in real documents and print design and stuff because it's not a great font. It's just it it isn't. Well, there's something to be said for using a font that people wouldn't use in content to right. distinguish the UI from the content. Right, that is true. I can and uh, you know I've talked about this with a lot of people that there is something to me that's a little. 
as a longtime Mac user, I've always seen the system font that way, going all the way back to the, you know, Chicago and then uh, what was the next one? Charcoal. What did you do? Did you did you use charcoal or did you, did you revert to Chicago? Remember, you used uh, to have that option. Like, there was like SB Sands in there. Yeah, there, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Talk I, about I, talk about things Apple would never do anymore. You used to get a you had a choice for your. Oh system yeah, you can you can use Brush Script. Remember that? Right. It's like yeah, the theming days. Yeah, no, I always went with when they changed the default from Chicago. I said I'm just going to go with it. Right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with what they picked, even though I didn't like the lowercase R. Uh, <laughs> But I did that. Uh, I went with it. But it was always a font. Chicago and charcoal were always these sort of almost like a semi-bold font. It was not bold enough to be bold, but bolder than a regular font. But it made, you know, and it it took up two pixels in a lot of places where instead of one, and it looked good on those low red, low-res screens. But there was always a very, very visceral to me difference between the UI font and the content fonts. Yeah, although it was it was made weird by the fact that like so the reason Chicago looked the way it did is because they had to gray out menu items in the original Mac and you can't gray things out when you have a black and white screen. So they had to make every single letter big enough so you could knock out every other pixel in a checkerboard pattern and you could still read the words. Right. Right? And when the, and so that's fine and they that also meant that they had to use Chicago as like for like long freeform text where they wouldn't use, you know, Lucida Grand right now, like a dialogue that explains stuff. They would they would use that system font as well, and you just did not want to read a paragraph of Chicago. It's like right. it was never something that you would want to do. It just looked awkward, but they had to do it because what if you had to gray out that text or something? Right. You know, it just uses a system font. And when they went with the new fonts like charcoal and stuff, they didn't need to do that pixel thing anymore. Like they had grayscale, but they somehow felt like, well, a system font is something that looks big and chunky. And right. so those fonts were also big and chunky. And like Lucid is like moving. It's it's not as thin as Helvetica, but you know, it's finally shedding that kind of I've got big fat forearms kind of look of the fonts, right? right? It doesn't it doesn't look like that. It looks like I'm kind of svelte and thin, but I'm also kind of like bold and I look like a label. I look like I'm labeling something. I'm not a headline. I'm not body text. I'm, you know, I'm a UI font. So yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mind it that much. And I don't know what they would replace it with. I, I, I fear any replacement. Yeah. Uh, that, be... that, that seems too wimpy for me for a Mac. Like it seems right for a handheld, especially with iOS 7, like it totally fits there with that aesthetic but I, I feel like the mac should be beefier I, i'm glad that it's still there you know and like you said i'm glad that it still has a system font uh i thought it was interesting you pointed out in your review that they actually there are new this is what i was getting at is that they actually have like new lucida grande font files in mavericks that are uh retina optimized and i think that some of the features in there there's like kerning pairs and uh Stuff like that, which they actually Lucida Grande never had before. It was yeah. Well, they did, the the whole texture system got a revision to much better handle like ligatures and all the other stuff. You know, in in regular text stuff. And but but above and beyond that, which I, I would have liked to put a section in the review about that, but I didn't know enough about the details about how they changed the text system. And it's like you know, I you know, I don't know how much people would care. But changing the system font, like above and beyond the changes of the text system, they made a special new variant of. The font, like if you pick Lucida Grande in, in the, as we pronounce this font name seven different ways in the same podcast, if you pick that font and text edit and type with it, you are not typing with the same one they use to draw the menus. Because at least as of like WWC, they, and I think this is still the case, they have a specially tweaked version for when you, for when Apple uses it in the UI. In fact, I think it used to actually show up in the font picker hmm. uh, with like some weird name. Uh, but now, you know, so it's like two different things. And I think that's appropriate because the application of a font 
as your UI thing, even if you found exactly the font you want, you always want to just do like, well, I'm going to tweak it in ways that only make sense when it's like a menu bar and a menu item, but you would not want to write it if you're, you know, using a, a like a page layout program in this particular font. Right. Yeah. Like you said, it's their labels, you know, and a label font is different than a reading font. Did you follow that link? Like one guy, after I posted my review, one guy actually figured out what the differences were and posted no. this big long blog post. Go find that part of my review and click on like the whatever that means text because i didn't know like you know I, and i asked apple i didn't know what it meant and i asked apple like i know you changed the font and you said it's optimized for running a display like what does that mean and it's like well you know like I, it means you know they didn't give me any specific detail so here's this guy who said okay i'm gonna pull up the fonts in my editor and he shows exactly how they changed the letter forms for this thing versus the old one all right i'm gonna link it up oh whatever that means there we go I mean, look at that. Like some of the changes, like the guy said, some of the changes make sense and see why they do it. Other changes, it's like, was that a mistake or did they just forget to change it? It's it's weird. I saw the Stephen Cole's post uh, on the, the the typographic guy, uh, but I did not see this. Yeah, here we go. Great, love this guy. All right, let's call it a show. Let's get to bed. Yeah, geez, longer uh, than last time even. John Syracuse, thank you so much. People can uh, they can go, they can read your review. I mean, I can't believe if you haven't, shame on you if you haven't already read it. But it's at Ars Technica. Uh, just type in Ars Technica Mavericks review in, in your local Google, and you'll get to it. I, I always like to be able to type my last name in Mavericks. Type Syracuse Mavericks, I want my result to be the top one. Sometimes it isn't, but... Oh, you know. how could that not be the top result? Yeah. I'll eat my hat at that SEO, man, SEO. Syracuse and Maverick. That's Mavericks. Your, that's what I've always called you in my mind. Maverick. Yeah, it's the first hit. All right. But anyway, you can find it. It's off the front page of ours by this point. That's how old it is. Yeah. But it's it's on the first page of our hearts. <laughs>